Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. Obviously the online editions of the newspapers would have the news regarding Ryanair and Cork Airport and Shannon, but uh, the print versions don't. So Ryanair uh, set to close their bases at Cork and indeed Shannon for the winter and that'll mean unpaid leave, job sharing, reduced working time and pay to be implemented in some areas with regards to Ryanair staff. God knows what impact it's already had on staff numbers at Cork Airport or indeed, um, you know, looking forward with regards to staff numbers at Cork Airport. Uh, Michael O'Leary is blaming the government. He says the government forced this upon us, mismanagement of the EU air travel. Um, now, it's it's going to be very, very worrying going forward because Owen Corrie was saying to me on the air from TravelExtra.ie that he wouldn't be surprised even if Cork Airport had to close for the winter. Now, the airport's very optimistic going forward and I ho- heard Kevin Colnan on the news uh, early in the week saying that they've got big plans for developing the airport. They're putting in new carousel systems. They're redoing the runways and everything like that. So it's optimistic going forward, but they've got to get through the next, what, six months to be able to plough on. So that's the latest update on that. Ryanair uh, closing its Cork base. Uh, there's no one flying, you see. That's the thing. It's like there's no one taking trains, really, by and large. Uh, and, of course, then uh, we have moved um, somewhere in between Level 3 and Level 4, closer to Level 4. There's many are saying that it's inevitable we will move to uh, to Level 4. Of course, border counties have. And the big change now overnight is that all household visits across the country of Ireland are banned from midnight uh, tonight, and the Taoiseach made that announcement last night. Uh, Cavan, Monaghan and Donegal have been hit with even tighter restrictions. So, front of the mail this morning, household visits banned. No more family dinners or friends over for coffee. Uh, I will drill more into the changes in a little while, but the other headlines that make the papers today, Northern Ireland has shut its pubs, its schools and its hairdressers. Their numbers have gone very, very high. And the Taoiseach uh, star front page this morning talks about uh, trick or treat or Halloween. Halloween has officially been cancelled. Well, unless it's inside in your own home, that is, but traipsing from house to house and what have you, uh, no sorry, that ain't going to be happening. Mind you, this is all down uh, to people playing ball with regards to the changes, because these are guidelines, as the fellow says. The front of the Independent this morning, ban on household visits for the whole country, a nationwide ban on household visits has been introduced, and that's the front page there. The examiner says we are, uh, everyone must reduce their contacts. House visits ban amid move to level four. So speculation that we're not any way out of the woods yet, and there may be more restrictions on the way. Um, I can drill in a little later on to the amount of hospital beds that we have available across the country. More to the point here in Cork uh, with regards to the CUH and uh, the Mercy. Uh, it's not good news, incidentally, here on Side with regards to numbers. The number of critical beds that are available now is zero. In Cork, there are no critical beds available in either the CUH or the Mercy. They've all been taken up at this point. Um, the, the story also drills into the number of confirmed uh, COVID cases. No, these aren't in the papers this morning. It's hard to get uh, regional numbers in the papers, so we do it ourselves. But the number of confirmed cases in critical units um, are very, very low. Uh, the CUH has one. And the Mercy has two, but all of the other critical ICU beds are taken up by people with other serious conditions. So more on those numbers maybe a little later on. But COVID sick, uh, sick leave is hitting hospitals as well. Apparently the Echo has seen a text message uh, from a senior COH doctor that was sent to Cork GPs yesterday saying that staff 
uh, within units in the hospital are off sick with COVID-19 and therefore that's impacting on the number of people who are awaiting tests. So that's a, an echo story. There are 500 she beans pulling pints for Irish punters, uh, private boozers, according to the Mirror this morning. I don't know how they come up with the number. Maybe the Gardaí are speculating that that's the number of she beans across the country, uh, 500. Uh, but certainly one thing that has dropped is traffic levels. And this morning, the star says that uh, traffic levels are down maybe 15, 20% across the country as Gardaí enforce coronavirus restrictions or at least attempt to. But over in Paris, they've got a curfew. So the lights go out in Paris at 9 o'clock in the evening now to tackle rocketing coronavirus levels. Uh, and with regards to ups and down, downs, house sales have gone through the floor. There's been a 40% drop in the amount of homes that have been changing hands across uh, August, for instance. But they also say there's been a, a drop in property prices. Mind you, it's tiny, the drop. What's really significant is that people aren't, um, you know, speculating or buying houses. I guess they're just keeping their powder dry for now. The Echo's front page today talks about um, Vincent de Paul warning people to be very careful. One of the things that happens at this time of the year, apparently, is that money lenders call from house to house, particularly to those perhaps that they've lent money to in the past, giving them all sorts of tempting offers to borrow money, particularly now that we're heading into Christmas. What kind of a Christmas it will be? Who knows? Uh, you heard in the news there with uh, the Custom House Key development. That will be Ireland's tallest building, twice as high as uh, the Elysian. And it's an optimistic vote of confidence, I suppose, in Cork in the future with regards to the amount of planning applications and indeed high-rise developments that are planned for the city, particularly down around the docks area. That's great news, together with... Uh, with superimposed photographs in both the Echo and the Examiner as to how that huge big building will look. And it's going to be incredible. If I could just spend a couple of seconds on it, it will be a five-star luxury build, including a spa, swimming pool, gym facility. This is the hotel aspect of it. Uh, five-star luxury, including a spa, swimming pool, gym facilities. It will also restore the actual custom house bonded warehouses as well and that would be turned into a fantastic uh, historic uh, interpretive center so it's really good there'd be a sky bar on the top of it and a sky restaurant up there as well with panoramic views of the city so it's 140 meters tall and just to put that in perspective the new build will be 140 meters at the moment the elysian is the tallest on Leeside, and that's 70 metres, so it's twice as high. Papers also talk today of other stuff that isn't COVID or building-related, and that includes a topic we've been dealing with over the past few days. Yesterday, actually, we started talking about the price of fags and people trying to give up. E-cigarettes are the crutch that are mo- that's most effective, according to The Sun today, for stubbing out smoking. Electronic cigarettes containing nicotine are more effective in helping smokers to quit than gum or patches, apparently. That's the latest research on that. And on a lighter note, and there are many uh, light-hearted stories in the papers today. One of them, we kind of know that anyway, don't we? Irish women do almost twice the amount of unpaid work as men. Um, Irish women, it's worth repeating, do almost twice the amount of unpaid work as men. Perhaps you might have a thought or a comment on that. Text 0868104106. We also apparently check our phones 58 times a day. Um, almost a third of people look at their mobile phones maybe 50 times a day, with the average amount being 58 times a day. Come here, I know somebody would have done 58 times before lunchtime. And you know how all these fake posts are going around now about people who have died and passed away? There was an awful one over the past few days saying that Ed Sheeran had died, and last week there was a post going around saying that Gavin Duffy had died. Well, the latest one now is Pat Kenny. 
Uh, he is, of course, alive and well and continuing to broadcast. But it's another example of fake news where they publish fake obituaries. And somebody who is in fine fettle at the age of 95 tomorrow is Angela Lansbury. She celebrates her 95th birthday tomorrow. She'll celebrate it with family. Uh, she's in great form, living in East Cork, not too far from Ballymaloo, I believe. So for tomorrow, I know I'm a little bit ahead of the posse, but the Sun carried a story today that Angela Lansbury will be 95 tomorrow. Fair play to her. And I know that there are an awful lot of secret murder, she wrote, watchers out there. And it's still running, you know, day in, day out. You can't, there's no problem. You wouldn't go a day with the murder she wrote if she did, if you did a little bit of a search or a surf on TV. Uh, 95 years young. Happy birthday for tomorrow. The Neil Prenderville Show. Lines open at 1-850-104-106. Text 868-104-106. And so, uh, we have changes uh, this morning to wake up to. Uh, there is a, a, a little point with regards to home visits, you know, to somebody else's home. You can on compassionate grounds, and that's probably at some stage worth drilling into. Uh, but there's a lot of people online who are freaking about this, particularly with regards to, say, for instance, elderly patients, you know. Uh, and I saw a lot happening then on, on social media with regards to people talking about that and, uh, you know, particularly on Twitter. And some examples of that uh, include a couple of different Twitter posts that I saw. I'm so confused. So I can cross counties to go to work. I can work in a school with over 400 children with no masks, but now I can't call into my mam one month after my dad passed away. Uh, another one. Protesters, some from anti-mask campaigns. Oh, sorry, that's a different one. I'll come back to that on a different topic. No, here's another. So I can meet my parents uh, at the pub, or at least outside the pub, at the gym, in a restaurant, in a meat plant, in direct provision centers, in the bookies, in the airport, at a rally, or indeed in the supermarket, where people are shouting loudly and unmasked, but I just can't meet my parents in their own garden. A couple of examples of how uh, people feel about the latest. But I think on compassionate grounds, actually, that's worth saying. One would think that you could meet an elderly parent or call over to see if they need anything or how they're doing in the back garden on compassionate grounds, couldn't you? But on the topic of betting shops, because they're still open, with everything happening This is an email. With everything happening and all the country going into level three, I see loads written about pubs, restaurants and the like. Nowhere have I seen any talk about betting shops. Morning, noon and night, the people are in there. No concept of social distancing, uh, wearing masks under their chins with a complete lack of consideration for others once their bets get taken. I've heard staff have to inform full-grown adults about the company's policy of masks, and the adults act worse than spoiled kids. No time restrictions are in place, so people are there all day, and certain places and companies are allowing far more into the betting shop than they're capable of holding with a two-meter distance rule. This really needs to be looked at as pubs and restaurants are suffering while betting shops go unchecked. Another one here. I'd like to know, Neil, why the bookies are still open. They're hardly essential. Most of their income is probably generated online. So why keep them open and close cinemas and ban people attending matches? In cinemas, at least, seats are allocated so you're at least two meters apart. In reality, a lot more than two meters because shows aren't selling out. It's the same in Turner's Cross. The seats are allocated too and the people are outside. Yet people can go indoors in a small room and gamble away because there's money at stake. It makes the whole thing just farcical. And there's more on that actually. I also have an email which I'll read out a little later on for somebody working 
within the betting shop industry. So I'll come back to all of that. We got calls on the way. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Small little bit of housekeeping. Somebody was inquiring yesterday because they love walking from the north side over to the south side via the shaky bridge. What's the story with it? Well, it was supposed to originally open in Easter and then late summer. And of course, all of those dates got missed. So I said I would check it out. Owen English at the Examiner is the go-to man when it comes to the shaky bridge. And we spoke to him yesterday uh, and he says that the aim is to have the shaky bridge open by December. And he says that the examiner have a query in with City Hall for confirmation that they'll even make the December date. Bridge is in situ, but it's all boarded off with high metal scaffolding, so you can't use it, but it's in place. So that's the deal. Uh, happy to update on that one for you, Sertia. Uh, they figure that it could well be open now by December. That's the latest date, so it's pushed back yet again. So uh, just before I go to phone calls, just uh, level three changes. What, what we now know is that there will be no visitors to home or garden. Um, but again, with the exception of visits for essential purposes, like family reasons, um, you know, uh, which, which if you drill into family reasons could be providing care for the elderly, providing care for vulnerable people, uh, and in particular those who are living alone. So I wouldn't be overly panicking at this stage that you can't go visit your mam and dad uh, in their home or indeed uh, in their garden. Um, but for all others, you can't be rocking into somebody else's house or back garden now. Uh, so the change means that in outdoor settings away from home, uh, up to six people from no more than two households can meet. So outdoors for a coffee, for instance, uh, but not indoors. you got to maintain, they say, the physical distancing as well. So that's the change, really. If we were to move to to level four, that would be entirely different because other things would would start to close and, and stuff like that. And, you know, after that, we've, it's level five and that's where you uh, have restricted movement to maybe somewhere between two and five kilometers. But we'll have to wait and see what happens there. So that's where we're at. But um, what's worrying really... I know the numbers are increasing. We've got 1,095 cases confirmed last night and five deaths. But if you drill into it, the median age now is 31. When you add them all up and look at the ages of them, it comes in at 31. So it's very young now and getting younger. Um, apparently, there's a huge amount of people out there who have uh, COVID-19 that are asymptomatic, which means they have it and they don't know they have it. Uh, and that's a, a real worry. Uh, the number for Cork yesterday was 118 cases confirmed. But what really is important is the number of general beds that are available. Of all of the beds, all of the beds, when you total them up in the CUH this morning, there are two beds available now, two. In the Mercy, there's 14. That's the number of general beds. Then the number of critical beds available in the CUH is zero. Zero ICU beds available and also zero in the Mercy. Uh, And I think those figures, those stats are much more important, really. I think they're even more important than the amount of people who are testing positive, to be quite honest with you. Um, You know, the amount of beds available in the ICU scenario in the CUH and uh, the Mercy, zero. Okay, so lines are open on that, 1-850-104-106. You can text 086-8104-106. But there's a very big response um, over the past two days to rental costs on Leaside. And do you know the way when you start on a topic like that, the amount of rent the lack of properties, then we also get to hear stories of people who are living in conditions that are far from ideal and landlords that aren't pulling their weight and playing ball, although they are charging top dollar in rent. Uh, Mandy, thank you for waiting for so long. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Um, and uh, this actually has had an impact because of mould, which are spores yeah. on your health, right? So anyway, talk us through it. Yeah. Okay, so um, going back not so long ago, I think it's very 
No, okay, this is a very phone. bad. This is a very bad phone line. Are you, are you on a hands-free? I am one second there. Now. Okay, can I just say no hands-frees, guys? No hands-frees. That's sure. Give it a go anyway. Shout away. And <laughs> um, so basically, going back a couple of years ago, um, I was searching for an apartment with my little boy. He was um, almost two at the time, and it was so hard to get. So um, eventually, I was I was hearing for months, and I viewed this apartment. Um, it was with a really good um The apartments were described as luxury apartments, and they were really beautiful. It was a one bed apartment, and it was listed for twelve hundred. So I was really excited about that. It was one bed, but it was open plan. They were quite spacious, and it was ground floor. Um, so I viewed it, and the day I viewed it, I was very excited, and I was told by the agent that six other people were in desperate need of it um, and I would have to raise the offer on the listed price um, of the rent if I was in any hope to kind of secure the apartment. So went from 1200 to 13, um, but I felt my own personal kind of situation that that was okay because I would have been in receipt of half. Um, so I yeah, but you wouldn't be in receipt of thirteen hundred euro hap, though. No, <laughs> no, um, but it was still affordable for my situation. Okay, so, so this was a thirteen hundred euro rental yes. for a one bedroom yeah. open plan apartment. Yes. Um, oh my god. Yeah. Um, so I said okay. Unless it was um, decorated like the Sistine Chapel, that's <laughs> stupid money. I know, and it was actually a real struggle to get half it, and it took over four weeks to get half because a woman in there was like, this is disgraceful, they cannot charge yeah, this, it's yeah. a rent pressure zone, yeah. and she was really, really reluctant to sign it, and so I did get onto a TD, and then I was able to sign it the next day, because I was like, look, I'm in desperate need of this apartment, I've been searching for months, I'm agreeing to pay this, it's okay, so... Then it was beautiful, you know, freshly painted. Everything was lovely. After we moved in in the uh, March, the end of March, and within a couple of months, as the weather started to get colder, I realized on the front and back wall of this ground floor apartment, we're getting so badly um, wet with condensation that it would have left pools of water on the windowsill, a big pool at the end of the front door, the back door to where the wooden flooring was actually bubbling. Um, and I couldn't get rid of it. And they kept saying, oh, open the little vents on the top of the windows. So I was doing that. It wasn't working. And so the mold, that's when I realized how bad the mold was because the paint started to just drip off the wall. And, and you then, could see. Yeah. And then it started to have an effect on your health, didn't it? Yes. So at the beginning, they were very helpful and they came out and painted and they changed the blinds in the bedroom and they even bought a new toddler bed for my son. So I was like, okay, they're willing to help. They know this is a long-term issue. And after that, they started to refuse to help. They wanted nothing to do with it. So I was exhausted from cleaning it and I even bought my own mold paint to actually paint the windowsills and the door and you know all this. So it got to a point um, last October where, you know, I just, I felt like I was really unwell. I was getting kind of sinus pressure in my face and I was like, oh, this is all I need now because my son was starting preschool. And it got to little November and I was already in a lot of talks with the agency this time and they were refusing to help. 
and I woke up one morning and I was extremely unwell so I went down to South Jack it was a Saturday morning and she was like look you're suffering with really bad vertigo because your sinuses are so blocked up and I was like okay um, but it got to the point that I was so unwell I was actually hospitalised with vertigo um, I I think it took four months for the vertigo to subside kind of fully but now I'm still really bad with sinuses so I've had numerous antibiotics I kind of get an antibiotic every kind of four to six weeks yeah. just to kind of help um, all the nasal rinses in the world steaming my face I'm still taking um, antihistamines I take Montelukas that night even though I've never suffered with asthma it's just to help my lungs I was given an inhaler um, I'm currently seeing an ENT in the South Infirmary so um, he's actually we're waiting on a CT scan just to see like further investigate to see what he can and you've me. told and you've told all of them about the mould yes. and the spores in the house in the apartment yes I have so many emails so many pictures um, and in the end they just kept refusing because she said that they didn't want to deal with the cost of it even though my rent was put up a couple of months beforehand by the 4% because um, there was a rent pressure zone area and it was put up by the 4% so in the end it was actually thirteen sixty five a month For a one bedroom open plan apartment? Yes and sure look they knew that the issues were there and that's why when I with, first moved in with, after the couple with of months they were helping With rats? That was in apartment beforehand. Oh, I've thank never you. Had well, any okay, luck. <laughs> okay. At least that was the apartment yeah. before it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've never had any luck. Um, but yeah, I've all the emails. They refused to help, and they just told me contact the RTB. Um, I left furniture behind because it was so badly damaged that there was no point in taking it with me. There was like a chest of drawers and his toddler bed. Um, but somebody no else would be desperate enough to move into that after you at thirteen hundred and sixty euro. Uh, yes. And probably be asked yeah. for perhaps another hundred because so the yes. agent said to you you're better off um, pr- uh, agreeing to an extra hundred a month because there's six others will take it after you. Do you believe yeah. that or do you think it was just a sales pitch? I don't know because I suppose I was searching for so long myself that I understood how bad it was, and um, to try and find a place that was somewhat reasonably reasonably priced. And um, so I do believe that there was other families that were in desperate need of it. Um, who just probably couldn't afford to add extra on, you know? So um, you eventually got out. I think you're in Douglas now, are you? I'm actually down um, in Ballyfehan, and we were so lucky to get this house. It, you know, we were, the agency is amazing. The house is brilliant, and it's quiet, and it's lovely. So we Douglas were area really is lucky. probably Rose Properties, is it? No, we're actually with a different agency, um, and you know they they couldn't be. Any oh better. no, I just, I just wonder because they do an awful lot of the lettings in that they agency, do. and they they do. You know. We were actually searching with them for a while because I left the apartment last December because I was I was on bed rest for a month, so I it was just constantly affecting my health, and I knew if I stayed there, it would just get worse and not better. Okay. So okay. I left and we were searching them for four months before we got... And the, the three-bed in Balafi Han, how much yes. is that costing you? Do you mind me asking? 1284 a month. For a twelve for a three-bed entire house? Yeah. And you were yeah, paying 1360 we for a mouldy yeah. old, leaky, one-room, one-bedroom yeah. apartment. Okay. And can I just yeah. ask you, with regards to the rats... Um, yes. <laughs> were, they were behind your walls. Were they like you could hear them when you were in bed? Yes. So they were in the bedroom wall cavity. And um, so it, try and, it was a 
three-story old house. That, it was a big house, so it was broken up into three apartments, a ground-floor apartment and then two two-floor apartments on either side of the upstairs. So next to that house would have been um, just normal terrace houses. And there was a conjoining wall to my bedroom wall, like separating. You're running up and down the walls, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Um, was the garden in an awful state, is it? Yes, yes it was. It was overgrown, there was rubbish there. So we kind of knew that it was coming from that area. Um, But they just tried to fog me off as being endangered bats. And then they told me to leave. They tried to fob you off that they were bats. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they were like, look, we can't get rid of them because they're endangered bats. But they were rats. They were rats. Like, you could hear their teeth and their hands. Like, I could not sleep in the bedroom. It was you could hear them chewing and gnawing away. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, you're in a lucky place now, and obviously Thank you're minding it, and you're happy out. Mind yourself. Thanks for taking the call. Cheers, Mandy. one 106 Currently renting and have done for, done for years because it's nearly impossible to save the 10% to buy a house. I have been uh, and can pay my rent with no problems, around €1,000 a month. If I was to have a mortgage, it would be a lot less than that. How is that fair that mortgages are cheaper than rent? If I didn't work and had a bunch of kids, the government would give me a house for sure. That just doesn't seem fair. Since 2017, I've been pushed back into a sharing because of the prices around East Cork, particularly around Middleton. I was renting in Cloyne 10 years ago. It was a two-bedroom apartment at €450 a month. This has now become available again, but now it's 900 a month. Uh, rental agencies never get back to me even after I've sent all the information they request like work references, previous landlords, etc. Every new ad on Daft has 700 views within hours of coming online. Middleton is almost as expensive as Cork City these days and very hard to find a house for a single person as prices are based on two people um, in it. Even if two people were looking, it's still very expensive when you even split that rent, says Jerome. And there's lots more then on rental, which I will come back to. But I want to mix it up as best I can. Jim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Okay, so uh, a couple of texts earlier on there with the fact that betting shops are still open. Uh, Your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, My belief is um, the betting shop can uh, can, uh, allow access for 27 people. No, I don't know whether there's a, there's a time frame on those 27 individuals that can go in there. But obviously enough, they, they will be wearing face masks. Uh, they used to have coffee machines. That's all stopped, obviously enough. Probably. They used to have coffee machines and, and soup and all sorts of things, didn't they? They, they used, but that's all stopped. But that was an encouragement for people to stay longer, wasn't it? It was, and, and give your wages if you wanted to. That's, that, that, that's what it was about, right? But... Um, like it, it, it's a, it's amazing it's amazing like some of these people that's going in there they'll they'll have to be thrown out of work because they're all over COVID and it's not their fault right they go in they meet people they socialize and, and you know at social distance you'd be thinking you'd be thinking twenty seven people inside in a fairly tight room like you can you can't give your two two meters away can you yeah but that would depend on the size of the bookies like wouldn't it. Well, the, most most betting shops like they're, they're not they're not hotels if you know what I mean. They're not they're not big spacious buildings like most of them. But um, you know, I was just thinking of the rules that were brought in overnight, Neil, and, yeah. and things like like I I live in Yarl in County Cork. Now my parents are buried in a rural cemetery uh, four miles from where I live in the County Waterford direction to Piltown Church in County Waterford. Tis tis three, approximately three miles across the, the Yarl Bridge. Now, I, can, I cannot travel over to that grave 
and I, 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 I have work to, to do there. But you have work uh, to do on the grave, is it? We have, we have work to do on the grave. No, the, the man that would be doing the, the work for me can travel because he's classed as essential, essential service. You know, to, to fix up a headstone and clean a headstone and do that. He's classed, and that's, that's brilliant. I'm delighted with that. But I, I cannot go over to that graveyard. I cannot. I, but yes, you have 27 people inside in a betting shop, right? You have the Kelly Senior Football Team travelling to Monaghan next weekend to play a match. Now, they come under the bracket as a lead. And you the could lead. drive from Yall to Castle Down Bear, but you can't drive five miles across the border to a graveyard. See, who, but who's thinking up these things, Neil? You know, is there any time I've been put into these? Like, I, w- I won't be 10 minutes inside in my car driving to, to, to the cemetery. I, 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 I will not meet, I, 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 I nearly guaranteed, I will not meet anyone in the cemetery because it's all and it's a peaceful and it's a just beautiful chapter, and that, you know, and that's where, they were, that's where they wanted to be buried and things, you know, but um, I, I won't be in contact with nobody over there. I won't see, the only people I see coming back is that I'll be stopped just at the crossing the, 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 the bridge by the, the Gardaí, which are doing a fantastic job, may I add. They're doing, they're doing their best. Yeah, but if you were they're to say to them, I'm just going over to do some work on my parents' grave, what would they say to you? I don't know, but I wouldn't test it. I wouldn't test it. I respect the rule. I respect the rule. I, I You know, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't test it. If everybody, if everybody was like me, everybody would be travelling. But, like, I, I still... I walk my dog most days. I still see on the on the road camper vans, D registration, WX registration. Like how are they passing? How are they coming in here? Like, like not everyone, not everyone in y'all owns a, a camper van with a WX uh, registration or a D registration. I have no so, idea. I have no idea what they're doing knocking around the place. But I don't. You know, I see. I see. Like those fifty thousand people came into Dublin Airport last week. Where are they going? Where, um, where are they gone? Like, I see English registration cars coming down this way. Like, I, I, there could I, be people coming in and out on business and people coming back home and things like that. You know, they're not necessarily, I don't know, they're not necessarily tourists. But, but we can't go to England now, can we? No, oh, without restrictions, yeah. Yeah, and you come back. You see, we, you, you know, you know, like, I, 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 I don't know what this government, like, like I, I, I don't know where they're going and what they're doing. I, you know, sometimes I, I said to me, said, like, they don't know themselves. Yeah. Like, Michal Mert was on last night and, and the 9 o'clock news. And, I, you know, I, I, I think the man is kind of embarrassed to tell you the truth. I do. I, I, you know. He's embarrassed. I think he is. Why? I, I, I honestly, I, I, I'd say, like, he, he, well, he's saying he knows that he, 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 it, it's not always, but that he can't do much about it. He's he, 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 a clown in the Green Party. They're talking about uh, 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 fuel and, and, you know, like... But like, you, 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 you know, the, the numbers increasing all have to do with people in the home and bringing COVID into the home. And it's got much younger, which means that the younger communities amongst us, and I'm not having you a dig at anyone in particular, are bringing COVID-19 into the home. You have a multitude of problems causing that. You have a multitude of problems. And, you know, close the goddamn off-licenses. Close them. I know three parties were held last week, weekend. I know three. I know more parties coming up. And, like... But can I just ask you, because I'm going to move on. Do you think if somebody hears a party next door in the same estate, should they call the guards? Well, you see... I'd be, I'd be wary of doing that. I would be wary of doing that. Like, 
you know, because you must live in this state, and 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 you 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 must be you must be made aware that you're going to be protected in that as a state. Okay. Okay. You, so, you can't you can't take the law into your own hands. You'd love to sometimes. You'd love to take the law into your own, but you can't do it. You must go down the legal route to do it. Somebody's saying here that you that you need to let that man know if you're living on the border that uh, you can go ten kilometers into another county if you live in a border area. Would that help? I don't think. I, I, that's the first I heard of that. Me too, but I will check it out. Jim, I'll plow on. Thanks a lot. Much obliged. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Neil, if you honestly believe that there are only two empty beds in the hospitals in Cork, then you're beginning to believe all the waffle you've been told. I can guarantee you there are more than two empty beds available, especially if you count the ones in the wards that have been closed in the last couple of years. It's not just COVID that's making us sick. It's the management of hospitals and their unions. Well, you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm just passing on the daily stats that I drill into every morning on the HSC website. Um, meanwhile, rental prices in Cork have almost doubled in three years. In a three-year period, rent on side has doubled, and I find that absolutely fascinating, if nothing else, and a worry. And property prices and rental prices on side are at an all-time high now and only getting worse, particularly with people having moved back from, say, Dublin to Cork. And when we looked at this the other day, there was 143 properties available throughout Cork City and suburbs on daft.ie, and you have hundreds of people vying for the same property. And that means that it's driving the prices up. And it was worrying there to hear Mandy say that an estate agent said, well, it is 1200 but if you really want to get it, pay 1300 a month. Um, Fiona had a massive four-bed bungalow with a huge garden and a lake at the bottom of it for 600 a month. Uh, we had a back boiler too, so we saved loads of money on electricity. I then moved to a smaller house with three bedrooms. Don't know why you moved. Maybe it was you needed to... Uh, a smaller house because you had a four bed and moved to a three bed. She said the garden is a fifth of the size of the last house and I'm paying 1,244 a month. I was allowed to paint the old house and I did it really nice. In this house, I can't even hang a frame. Just not allowed to touch anything. Um, maybe it's the nosy person in me, but I wonder why did you move at all? Uh, it's amazing how all this rental crisis happened under the leaderships of Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, um, the Greens. They have a good share of TDs from these parties who are also landlords themselves. Landlords get away with huge rent prices and nothing's been done about it. In France, the government are afraid of the people. In Ireland, it looks like as if the people are afraid of the government. It's sad, but it's true. They should not be allowed to get away with this. It's all fake promises with political parties. It's time people take action against the government. Gary was renting a small house in Blackpool as one of my first places that I lived in. I was there from 2013 to 2019. Small house in Blackpool. It was €600 a month. It was then renovated to which I was told I'd have first refusal when it was back on the market. I never had any problems with rent, and I always paid it. I waited for four months for the house to be done up, as the landlord told me it would be done quickly. The week I was to move back in, I was told, sorry now, but the rent is increasing from 600 to 1400 a month. I, of course, was left with no place to live, as I was fobbed off. I was promised for almost four months that I'd have the place back, so I wasn't looking for anywhere else to live at the time. A couple of months went by and I was told by the neighbours that the new tenants moved out as they couldn't afford the rent. So I contacted the landlord again, to which I was told that he was giving the house to relatives. Uh, actually, I hear that a lot uh, with regards to properties. I'm not sure, but I'm very suspicious when I hear the landlord is giving the house to relatives. Uh, even Threshold couldn't help me. I mean, that's just 
blackguarding. That's just disgraceful. You know, you moved out so it could be renovated with first refusal, but going from 600 a month to 1,400 a month, I mean, like, and that was only, like, last year, wasn't it? Megan says, how are any of our young people starting out expected to pay these crazy rental lease-side prices? It's greedy landlords ripping us off completely and they get away with it. You just have to look at Love Ireland. Liz says, it took me and my partner two years to save up for the deposit for our house. We paid €875 a month for a room in a house. It was extortionate and there was no way I was going to pay double for a house. The landlords are getting away with murder, not just in houses, but also in house shares. Uh, Vanessa says, trying to get on the property ladder is next to impossible in Ireland when many of us have to pay up to two grand a month in rent. So thank you for all of those texts to 0868104106. And there's reams more, actually. I could be talking about it, uh, you know, over rent prices are ridiculous. An absolute joke what landlords and agencies charge. I have a two bed, 1,415 euro a month. Thank God I'm on HAP to help, but every month I still have to come up with €425 Euro to pay, and that doesn't include all of the bills. So for a two-bedroom house, €1,415 on side. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on 1-850-104-106. So for midnight tonight, Texter says, you can't bring your kids to see their grandparents, but your kids can meet others, like 30 children, um, and two or three adults five days a week in a school. You can't go and visit your sisters or brothers, but you can meet them and other strangers in your nearest beer garden. The government has officially lost the dressing room. Morningly, my daughter comes and stays with me every weekend. Will this be still allowed? Well, that's the question. Um, would that be deemed as on compassionate grounds to go and help and care and shop and look after an elderly person? Uh, who is anybody to tell you what is or isn't compassionate grounds? Can you imagine the amount of dads that will use this excuse to not see their children with the banning of household visits? I'm not tar- tarring all men with the one brush, but for single mothers, this will do a lot of damage to their mental health. They rely on the few hours break they get a week. Childcare isn't essential if the mom doesn't work, I suppose. And that's very interesting, actually, because um, you might say that you're not tarring all fathers with the same brush, but, you know... Uh, maybe you unbeknownst to yourself, perhaps you are. Uh, and it's uh, interesting you mention that because I have a story with regards to that for you. Um, it, and so the man who got in touch with me, it's not a long story, but it does need to be told. He says, I understand what I tell you may seem one-sided, self-serving, but it's the truth. If anybody is out there who can help me, I would be so thankful as I've reached absolute breaking point. Basically, I was a male victim of domestic violence and I still am in many ways. However, it is now more psychological than it is physical. I left a very unhappy marriage some years back. I'm not going to say how many years back, but let's just say not all that long ago. Uh, as I'd reached a point where I couldn't go on anymore. Left an unhappy marriage. And since that day, my life has been bottomless pits of alienation from my children. False accusations and a horrendous family law system. There seems to be no end in sight and no one seems to be able to help. I have small kids who adore me. I had my own house, 70,000 in savings, a good job and a car before I met my now ex-wife. But now I have nothing. I'm heavily in debt. There's a barring order over me and I have supervised access to my children. 
I had worked two jobs in order to get a better house for the family. I put everything that I had into the home. I paid the mortgage, paid the bills, the groceries, as my wife didn't go back to, didn't want to go back to work after our first child was born. Uh, then we had a second, and uh, the, she was quite sick. Uh, the child was sick. The child was in Crumlin, and I was the one who sat by his bed all day and night until he was better. I'm, I lost my job at the time, but I went out doing any work I could until I got a new job. Uh, my wife was abusing me. It would start with constant criticism, even in front of others, which I would then be told I had taken it up wrong. I guess you could call it gaslighting stuff. Then there were accusations of affairs. My ex-wife was checking my phone. I had to delete all apps, shut down my social media. Then it became a criticism of me as a father. It was usually that I wasn't at home enough of the time. Perhaps she just didn't comprehend that I was out working 70 or more hours a week to provide for the family, as she would spend money like it was nothing. Uh, I hated going home eventually, uh, as any good feeling from the children running to me when I came back was taken away by the nagging and the abuse that started from the minute I came in the door. Well, then it started to become physical. It began with throwing things at me. For example, if my work phone rang too much or paperwork I might have on the table. This woman was taking my dinner and throwing it in the bin if I was eating it in a way that annoyed her. If I stood up for myself... She would open a window and shout, knowing I'd back down, rather than give the neighbours a scene. I contacted the men's group, Amen, a men's group, and met with them, as she started saying she would destroy me and make sure that I was ruined. My friends eventually held an intervention with me, as they were so worried about, about how much I had changed and what they had witnessed. I broke down to my father, and I eventually told him everything. After this, I went home. And finally spoke to my wife. Uh, within two hours, her mother was at the house and she was giving me grief for how I was treating her daughter. I called my dad and asked him to come up. He tried to be impartial about the situation and he even offered to pay for counselling for both of us. I lasted two more weeks and I had to then leave with 300 euro in my pocket. I left my car there for the family and I gave my ex-wife two and a half thousand euro. Within a few days, I had a legal letter looking for maintenance, and she started following me, ringing me, accusing me of being in places that I wasn't. I was seeing the kids, but only at her allowance. Suddenly, a protection order came in, and I was stopped seeing the kids, but I was still giving money to her. I even replaced the car because it broke down. I had no home at this stage, and then I lost my job a few months later. While looking for a job, she got a barring order. It seems no proof was needed, no evidence of any accusation whatsoever. When I go, when I got to court eventually, I was a broken man. And the stuff herself and her solicitor said was appalling. And again, there seemed to be no need of any actual evidence. All she had to say in court was that she was afraid of me and the kids were afraid of me. Um, she had people investigating me with no proof. I eventually, through a freedom of information and a helpful person, got a letter to say that there was no investigation into me. My solicitor did ask her to give examples or show a text or an email or anything that gave this indication. I, thre I threatened that I threatened her or asked anything other than wanting to see my kids and to try and sort things amicably rather than wasting money. The judge, who was female, stopped my solicitor at one stage and stated, if a woman is brave enough to come into my court and say she's in fear, 
that's all I need to hear. To this day, her solicitor continues to say that I'm not paying maintenance even though I send him the bank statements to prove I am. But he continues to make allegations with no foundation. He also ignores my responses showing the proof of my payments and my requests for evidence of his allegations. But the hardest part is my children being poisoned and my older one in particular who's anxious and confused. She cries to me that she loves me even though people say bad things about me. I'm a man now who's effectively homeless. I'm sleeping on couches and typing this as, a, as I'm typing this as I'm at work. And I'll sleep here at work tonight on the floor in a sleeping bag. Meanwhile, my ex, who's not working, gets 2,300 per month in benefits, sits in a 400,000 euro house in an upmarket suburb with a big car. The mortgage was paid by me. I also give another 650 euro a month in maintenance. There's something very wrong with the system, Neil. If anyone can help or advise me, I'd be extremely grateful. If someone from your show wants to speak to me to get more information, I'm happy to chat with them, but please don't give out my details. Thank you. Well, I won't give out your details because I can't, and I've actually edited down that email to try and protect the anonymity of all those involved, but it's a shocking scenario. And I know that people will say, there's one side, there's the other side, and in the middle, there's the truth. But come on. I mean, that's an absolute horror story. He's asking for help. Anybody get advice? Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. My apologies to calls that are standing by. I just wanted to read that there because the topic came up about, um, you know, the old term of deadbeat dads. There's a lot of good dads out there and they're having an awful time of it. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. And to one of the stories that we mentioned earlier on this morning, uh, Ryanair closing their Cork base. Uh, Shannon as well. But the Cork base is a particular worry for us and indeed for everybody at Cork Airport. Kevin Cullinan is the head of communications at the airport. He joins me by phone on a very busy media morning for him. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So this is tragic, isn't it? And I know that Ryanair are talking about unpaid leave and layoffs and job sharing. But what will it mean to the airport? Well, when you think over the last number of months... Um Traffic at the airport has been decimated by by COVID. Um, we're down ninety one percent where we would have been this time last year. But even with the nine percent of business that's been there, um, eight out of ten of those passengers have been flying with Ryanair. So for Ryanair to make um, the decision today that they're going to close the base for the winter um, just means you know um, a further cut in services uh, and will bring you know down to a trickle. Um, the number of flights in and out of the airport this winter, almost back to levels that haven't been seen at the airport since the 1960s when the airport first opened. The 1960s levels? Yeah, I mean, you know, already this that year... That would be like uh, one or two flights a day, is it? Correct, correct. Uh, Reiner are saying they'll operate 10 flights um, out of Cork Airport this winter uh, in total in a week. Uh, and we're looking at um, between the other... Aer Lingus and KLM services, possibly another 10. So you're talking 20 departures out of Cork Airport over a full week um, from from November to next March, which is two or three flights a day. Because <sighs> Ryanair had 24 destinations out of Cork, didn't they? 
they did and, and this decision will see an end to a number of those year-round services that are, have operated to some destinations and other UK and Polish destinations. So they will operate, as I say, to, to London Stansted and Katowice and Gdansk, but they will operate on aircraft that are not based in Cork. The closure of the base basically means that the the two aircraft that are normally uh, sleeping at Cork overnight will not be here. Okay. They'll be deployed elsewhere on the Ryanair network. So it'll be Ryanair pilots and cabin crew from outside of Ireland will operate those three services this winter. So so, our, yeah, so you're saying 10 flights a week out of Cork Airport in total? With with, with Ryanair uh, and possibly another 10 then with, with, with Aer Lingus uh, and KLM. And so speaking of the numbers 10, I'm told, did I hear or read somewhere that upon the flights at the moment that are going in and out, there's only about 10 passengers, is that right? On some of the flights, there have been have been less than ten passengers, um, and I, I've I've seen the figures myself. Uh, on on one day last month, you had three passengers uh, flying to a sun destination. So but, there were there were more there were more crew on board the aircraft than there were passengers. But have Ryanair possibly jumped the gun here, Kevin, in the sense that we have the EU traffic light system? coming in, which will be based on countries per 100,000 of COVID, and we'll have a green and an orange and, and red zone. So when that's introduced next week, they could fly, couldn't they? And people could travel. I think, you know, Ryanair have, have flagged this for a number of weeks. Uh, I, I think you get a sense of their, their frustration in their announcement today, not just for the base here in Cork, but Shannon, Toulouse, and there's other base um, restrictions being made across the European network. They're just grown impatient, I think, at this stage with the, the varying degrees of restriction right across Europe. There is no consistency. And even the decision made in Luxembourg this week still leaves it open for, for individual national governments to impose um, individual restrictions and quarantines. What Ryanair were, were seeking was a consistency of approach that quarantines would be replaced with pre-departure testing Um so that would have at least given people some confidence that they could get a COVID test locally to show that they, they didn't have uh, any trace of the virus before travel. And if necessary, take a further test on arrival, which would have reduced the 14-day quarantine down to a, to a maximum of a five-day inconvenience if they were to get tested twice. But um, even the decision this week is non-binding on the, the EU member states. Right. So yeah. I think on, until we see consistency, uh, and I know the aviation industry, airlines and airports are now looking for the European Disease Control Centre to come up uh, with a protocol and um, to give certainty at this stage. Okay. Um, because as we've seen in, in the last 24 hours alone, we are going to be living with this virus for, for a number of months to come. So if the numbers keep on increasing, uh, what countries would even want us in the first place? You you kind of sound a little understanding of the predicament and the decision that Ryanair have made, yeah? Well, I think everyone in in the aviation sector has been adversely affected by this over the last seven months. Um, But at this stage, you know, when you're seeing direct and indirect jobs uh, at the airport, um, my heart goes out for for Ryanair cabin crew and pilots today uh, who have an uncertain future over yeah, the winter. Of course, but, but so do your staff, don't they? Indeed, our our staff. We're going to have to obviously sit down now and, and map out a, a path through this through this turbulence for the winter. Um, but you know, everyone from from ground handling companies to fueling companies. I mean, uh, everyone is affected by this. There's there's over, almost two thousand people working at the airport for a variety of different companies. Uh, and all of us will feel it, will feel the aftershocks of today's decision. 
Yeah, I, I did read in some um, uh, stats this morning, this I think came from the Chamber of Commerce, You're, you can correct me if you want, that Cork Airport directly and indirectly supports 12,000 jobs and generates just under a billion euro for the Irish economy. Cork Airport, I mean, it's a key yeah. driver in the economy, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a key economic driver for the region at the best of times. I mean, we wouldn't have the presence of so many multinationals in the region giving good jobs in pharma and biopharma and I, ICT jobs, as well as obviously the tourism sector, which has equally been decimated by this because there have been no inbound tourists filling our uh, hotels or restaurants. Or, that's or right. That's how the number of the money adds up. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, they, they've been surviving purely on the staycation market this year uh, and with the, the county restrictions at the moment. And um, that's even in jeopardy for the October uh, midterm break coming up as well. So, um, you know, it, everyone is going to be affected by, by the ripple effect of this decision because uh, it's not just those directly employed at the airport, but it's the ripple effect right across the economy that this is, is going to have. You know, our connectivity to the rest of Europe uh, and beyond is going to be adversely affected between now and next summer. It's inevitable, though, if people aren't flying. Um, what does it... What I mean, earlier in the week, Owen Corey from Travel Extra was saying that he, he wouldn't be surprised if you had to temporarily close the airport. Is that anything that you're actively considering? Well, our intention is to continue to serve the routes that are going to operate this winter. So, as I say, uh, we have, at the moment, um, Ryanair saying that they'll operate Stansted, Katowice, Gdansk, Amsterdam and London Heathrow. But is that enough to keep the lights on? Well, you know, we're a vital piece of infrastructure for the region. You know, we're going to do our level best to keep the lights on and, and the doors open as, as long as we can. Um, but we're going to need, um, you know, significant exchequer funding to, to keep the, the show on the road um, in the short term as well as the future because airports by their nature uh, eat up uh, cash every year just to stay stay open. And, you know, when you have when you have very little passengers and very few flights, uh, you know, we've lost six airlines this year that ordinarily would have been operating in and out of the airport mm. this year. Um, there's very little coming into our own tills. Our revenues are going to be down by about 23 million euro this year. We're looking at losses of around 19 to 20 million euro. So um, it is a very challenging time in the aviation sector for everyone, all of the players at the moment. Listen, our thoughts are with you and all of the staff and everybody connected with the airport. It's difficult for all of us, but uh, it's an awful thing to hear Cork Airport's numbers back to 1960 levels, all because of COVID-19. Thank you for taking the call, Kevin. Appreciate it, as always. My pleasure, Neil. Hopefully we'll have an opportunity to talk in the months ahead under happier circumstances. Neil, if Ryanair were making a fiver profit... They'd be running flights out of Cork Airport. The issue is purely and simply that people are not traveling. It's as simple as that, says Paul. And you're right. It is all about the fact that people are not traveling. Maybe that will change with this traffic light system, this EU traffic light system. But even that's not perfect. But nothing is in the times that we live in. Right, we've got calls on the way. My apologies to Vicky and to Michael. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Okay, that email that I read out from the alienated father at the end of his tether where he says, I'm now effectively homeless. I'm sleeping on couches. I'm typing this as I work. I will sleep here tonight on the floor in a sleeping bag. Uh, that touched the heartstrings with a lot of people. Text 0868 uh, Included amongst those that were listening was Vicky, it was Vicky Buckley, family law expert from Buckley Law Solicitors in Middleton. And she picked up the phone. Vicky, good morning. 
Good morning. How are you doing? Um, are there many? I'm good, thank you. Are there many stories like this man, this dad? Um, well, I suppose, look, the first thing is the family law courts are very busy. Absolutely. And I suppose the main reason that my interest was kind of perked on it is that to dispel the myths that may be associated a little bit with going to family law courts. Um, in that this, and I'll not comment on this guy's case because I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I suppose there are so many different available options to people that want to bring an application to the family law courts. And at the heart of the family law courts, I suppose, essentially, is the children, and it's the welfare and well-being of the children. And then, I suppose, ensuring that they have a relationship with both mom and dad. And that's that's what we see all the time. Mm. I mean, you know, they're not in the family law courts, you know, to sort out little issues. The relationship, I suppose, between the adults has has broken down. Um, And that's why, you know, it's important, I suppose, to get proper advice on it so that there's a bit of objectivity. Because, you know, it's obviously a terribly emotional place to be. And then the courts will step in to try and balance off, you know, the maintenance, the access, and just to make sure that the kids have that proper relationship so that, people aren't feeling like they are, like this chap seems to be with regards to being alienated from these kids. Yeah, and, and that you're painting a perfect scenario there if it were to work as perfectly as, as perhaps you're suggesting it, it is. But uh, you, you see, and, and, I, and, I, and I have to be very, very careful. I have to keep this in general terms. And I edited back yeah. the email because family law is a very private and restricted area Absolutely. where there are children involved yeah. and you, you don't want to be in any way no. going there. But he did say... Um, the judge who was female stopped my solicitor and stated, if a woman is brave enough to come into my court and say she's in fear, that's all I need to hear. Does there not need to be any proof? Oh, no. I mean, that, that really resonated with me. Um, the level of proof with regards to domestic violence applications is very, very serious. Um, in, in short, people can apply for a protection order on their own. So it's just them and the judge. So they're you know, the respondents in that case doesn't have the benefit of giving their evidence. But that will come back before the court as a safety order or as a barring order. And is that and safety net acceptable that somebody can get a barring order in court from a judge without any evidence? Um, no, 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 that doesn't happen. So the first step in it is, would be a protection order. And that's when one person goes in. But the court then will have both parties back within a couple of weeks. And here's all of the evidence from both sides with regards to making either a safety order or a barring order. Yes, so but that, that was what was happening in this case, and uh, the judge said if she's brave enough to come into the court, that's all I need to hear. Well, I, no, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't comment on that. I suppose I have many years of experience in, in both bringing applications for barring orders and also in defending applications for barring orders. And the threshold with regards to barring order is one of the highest in the family okay. law courts because essentially the judge has to make a decision to move somebody from what is their family home. And I mean, you know, constitutionally, we're, we're all entitled to have a home. So it's, it's a very, very serious application. Um, we, but we do want, we do want parents removed in, in scenarios where the children are at risk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and we during the COVID, we've had an, a, you know, an, an unprecedented increase in the courts and the courts have stayed open all the time. Um, with regards to the increase in the applications for domestic violence for barring orders and safety orders. And is that COVID related? Well, there's been a definite increase, absolutely, yeah, because I suppose people are at home more, you know, they're drinking at home more, they're not able to get out, you know, maybe to talk to the person that was keeping them safe before, this was in the, in the actual height of the lockdown, 
yeah, we were we were in the courts all the time, and the courts never closed um, with regards to domestic violence applications. I mean, this is incredible. So, therefore, because of COVID, you're busier than ever with court applications regarding family law matters. That means that more well, children are at risk, yeah? Um, yeah, and I suppose, like, to, you know, to say we're busier is, you know, it's, it's, it's not a good thing per se. Um, but, yeah, the absolute amount of applications are up. The children are at risk, yes, but then immediately the court will involve um, TUSLA or the Child and Family Agency. They will be brought into it. The courts are very aware, absolutely so very aware of, of the, the risk that children will be at where there is a domestic violence application. And in fact, if you do succeed in getting a domestic violence application, that also applies to your dependents. In the I know, and, and that's so important to uh, to, yes. to remind people of that this is yes. the way we want it to be because we do it not is. want these situations. But in and the event, shouldn't, yeah, no, people shouldn't be afraid to go and and, and talk to somebody to get advice about uh, domestic violence applications because you can you can, you don't have to have a specific time slot. You can just go to the courthouse, you know. But he and perhaps other dads in the same scenario as him are telling stories of, of where lies are being told about them, where they're being accused of things that aren't true. I mean, he, he goes into chapter and verse his own life where he's been the subject of physical and psychological bullying and abuse. Well, I suppose if, if somebody came to our office and presented with that evidence, obviously it's open to him also. And this is very important that domestic violence applications are open to men and women, to moms and dads. And, you know, I suppose maybe it's the general society that we're used to, the tough man approach doesn't go to the court. But I, I have had a number of applications um, and I've spoken to a lot of other colleagues where dad has had to go and make the application. And that's sometimes in the best interest of the children as well. So the applications are open to everybody. It's, it's you know, it's, there are vulnerable men and there are vulnerable women absolutely out there. But do you accept um, that there are dads out there who... Um are just absolutely distraught because they all these different things are being said about them, and as he says, his children are being poisoned against him. So I suppose there's a lot of that's one of the main factors that we would see a lot in the in the, in the in, I suppose general courts in, in general, but particularly in family law, would be the he said she said type of scenario. So the courts do have a process whereby if somebody if if I was to make an application on, on a client's behalf and say you know. The, the children are saying that this is being said and this is not being said and, and they're not allowed to call them and they're not allowed to go to access. The court can order a report be compiled for the benefit of the court and that takes the he said, she said out of it. So then the child will attend with a court-appointed child psychologist. They will talk through it and the court has actual facts then in front of them. So they can then act again in the best interest of making sure that the children are, are getting the benefit of the court. He's got to pay for all of this as he tries to sort it all out, though, doesn't he? He's racking up huge bills just to get well, to you, see if his he's, children. If he's working, he wouldn't be entitled to legal aid. But if you're not working, you can make an application for legal aid. Um, but the wife, uh, the ex-wife would have legal aid, you see, wouldn't she? Well, I, I don't know her specifics. No, well, I, yeah, no I'm, just, yeah. I'm just trying to ascertain whether dads yeah. are getting a fair deal, you know? Well, I suppose, you know, it, it, the courts are there for everybody. And that's the most important thing. The courts are there for everybody, um, and you know myself, and my colleagues will will are, are there as well for everybody. You know, it's 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 not okay for somebody to say, "Well, I'm not going to go and get a protection order because you know I'm I'm a vulnerable male adult in a relationship." That's not okay. You know, it is there for you. The, the services are there, um, and the court will hear that application. 
Absolutely. So, so what advice then, which he'd be very extremely grateful for, could you give this man who worked, and again, I say we have his side, the other side, and the truth yes. somewhere in the middle, but on the yes. basis of the email, he was a hard-working man uh, who did his best, held down a good job, you know, um, yeah. well, didn't, I, didn't I seem to step out of line to me. It seems if the relationship broke down and the ex-wife got bitter. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, well, look, the only, the only reference I'd make, because obviously the relationship has broken down absolutely irreversibly. But I suppose if he's in a situation whereby he's not getting enough access to his kids, he can bring an application to the court to vary the access. Um, he can outline his concerns of the he said, she said, or what the kids might be saying or not saying. There can be a report ordered, you know, the child psychologist can be introduced to the children just to take the animosity from the homes, both homes, out of the situation. So it gives clarity to both parties. And sometimes, you know, some of the so some of the situations when there is a little bit of objectivity, when they are in the court and they have the solicitor there with them, it can move things along a little bit better. Okay, uh, I hope he's listening and others like them. Again, it seems to me that the only avenue seems to be a legal avenue. He does say that he tried to sort things out amicably rather than wasting money with solicitors and courts. No disrespect to you. Uh, but No, no. You know, <laughs> no, and the only thing I'd say on that is, like I said at the very start, is, you know, it, sometimes people say, oh, you know, I tried to sort it out myself and we tried to sit down and talk about it. But because emotions run very, very high in family law situations, the objectivity of having the solicitors there can move things along a little bit better in that respect. Yeah. I, I do think that's important. I know, he has done things. that. When I got to court, eventually I was broken and the stuff herself and her solicitor said was appalling and there was no need for any evidence. All she had to say in court was that she was afraid of me and the kids were afraid of me. See, he like... Yeah. Well, I look, I suppose the only thing I back that upon is, is the threshold for, for, for barring orders is incredibly high and, and the evidence that's required by by the judges that are sitting um, is, is, is very, very specific. Okay, undoubtedly we'll get some more calls and emails on this, but thank you for taking the call, Vicky. Appreciate no it. Great. Vicky Buckley from Buckley Law Solicitors in Middleton. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Okay, Michael, good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you perfectly. Okay. Yeah. Did you hear that email that I read out from this dad who describes himself at the end of his tether and alienated father? I, I did indeed, yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible. Do you know, listen to me. Um, I've been listening to you for donkey's years and you've been a great champion of daddies and mammies and mommy all across the world. Like, you know. Thank you. But, um, it's, 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 it's incredible. Do you know, even after all these years, just, you know, we still have to suffer over this, like, you know, it, 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 it's crazy. I have two beautiful young daughters. I know, and what I'm going to say to you about all of that is, uh, I'm very slow to go into your own situation because the family law uh-huh. courts and um, the, the legal system in Ireland is so, um, it, it's set up in a manner where you and I would be would be totally sued and taken to the cleaners, you know, so I oh, need, I, absolutely. do you understand yeah. me? So I need to keep things absolutely. in general terms in the sense that whether, whether or not the court system is fair and equitable to both sides uh, in general, you know, um, I speak with men and different organizations and people who have gone to it, who've had an awful time going through the courts when relationships break down with regards to access, you know. 
terrible. I spent years crying maze or I met I've met MN and all that and I have been in tears. I I've been of Oh, good Lord. Uh, there must be other men in the same position as myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, depths of depression, the whole lot, losing everything. I, Neil, I, I, I went from, from 2001, right? I, I was earning a hell of a lot of money. I was, I was earning a lot more than you were at that stage, right? I was earning serious money. And in two years, in the break of a relationship, for no fault of my own because I was a working night whatever we just broke up like whatever yeah, you know yeah. don't say any more about that bang you know what I mean I lost everything what and effect and, and what effect that did you lose your job and everything and lose your income the lot no I I I, 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 I lost my home because I was kicked out of my house okay. right yeah. you know, right okay right and um, I had my job whatever but then the the, the, the mental effect of it it just totally destroyed me, you know. I, I was destroyed. So you went from your home scenario, big paying job, to it says here on the cusp of homelessness. Is that right? That's correct. I was I was couch surfing for a number a number of years, and uh, it, it destroyed my it destroyed my own self confidence. It destroyed my own relationship, my family, my own close family, my mum. <laughs> No, rest she didn't go no. Mm. And uh, you know, it it is it was insane, like, you know. Mm. Mm. It led to psychological problems. Did it lead to any addictive problems? Uh alcohol, yeah. Did that take over? It did for a while. And uh, um thanks for the golf the the the, the, the nuns in Blarney. I was there for a number of months and they got to make sure and off that. And I was able to come out the other side of it. And what kind of a place are you in now, would you say, Michael? I'm fairly good. Thanks be to God. But uh, at the same time, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm okay, do you know? And in general terms, do you believe that there are some dads out there uh, whom the courts aren't treating fairly because when a relationship breaks down the children end up used as a weapon. I'm not talking about in your own situation, but have, do you, would you say that that would be a fair thing to say? Oh, yeah. Okay. I believe that 100%. Okay. And can I ask you, I, I, I'm coming across stories as well uh, of people who have been, you know, off the jar or off the drugs, and then COVID came along and they um, ended up falling off the wagon. Did you hear much of that? I've heard a few of those things, all right, like, but you know, it's up to, you know, partners and, uh, you know, parents of a child. No, but they couldn't get to meetings, say, in the early days of lockdown. Oh, Jesus, and- was, yeah, I know, that's that's terrible. Sorry for my experience there, like, but um, it's very hard, but it's up to partners to understand their partners, you know, um, their the fibers. Mm. you have to understand people the human you know help each other yeah yeah I think AA meetings are back now again aren't they I'm not I'm not 100% sure no to be honest Neil but you know um, so you're in a good place you don't go to AA or anything no I 
I, I would love to go to a meetings. Like, you know, I always have been there and been there for, you know, at them. I don't know, is it's, it's not the end of the road. It's not, it's not the be all and, you know, the, the best thing one can go, go for. It's all psychological. As you know, Neil, yourself. You're doing, you're doing it yourself. And tell me, and tell me this now: Have you somewhere to live now and everything? Have you got somewhere comfortable? Mm-hmm. That's a joke. I'll be, I'll be homeless by uh, Saturday morning. And what will you do? I don't know. I honestly don't know anything about. You have to move out of where you are. Is it? Yep. With no I plan in place. Sure. What can I do? Like you know. I don't know. Like I mean, the, the rents are crazy. So you could be paying a visit to Vincent de Paul or Simon or something, is it? With the God, if they can help me, I'll, I'll, I'll be, you know, with the help of God, I'll be afraid to. You know, I'll be very anxious. Like you know, I'm, 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 I'm afraid of my life. I am fifty-two years of age. Uh, so, but what plan are you making for the weekend? It's only a few days away. The weekend, Neil, to be honest, I'm just trying to get a few little bits of pieces here together. Um, pictures of my children and my mommy. Um, and where will you go? I don't know. Front Parade, Patrick Street. The doorway? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What can I do? I can't, I, 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 I can't afford to get a B&B. Should what B&Bs are open at the moment, like, do you know? With COVID and all that. What will you do for food? Will you go to penny dinners, perhaps? Oh, God bless Katrina. Are you doing that already? Yeah, I'm not yet safe, but I'm, I'm, I'm closer. Yeah. No time is a good time, but heading into the winter with the dark nights and the colder temperatures and everything, it doesn't sound as if you're in a great place. I know, but Neil, listen to me. I'll get through with help God, like, you know, but, you know, I'm just hoping that, you know. Mm. Uh, Look after yourself, yeah. hear me? Okay, Neil, thanks very much, Neil. All right, pal, pal, take care. Take care. It's awful. Like after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Text 0868104106. Just ahead of Shawnee there, I just want to make one or two points here. Um, and one of them has to do with uh, what the solicitor uh, from Buckley Solicitors in Middleton had to say that the courts were never busier through COVID 19 with regards to family law and breakups and issues in the home and people needing the assistance of the courts because of, you know, close proximity, all in the house, tempers frayed, relationships that would have been rocky before COVID-19 and that lockdown period we went through and just COVID making it an awful lot worse. There, There's one or two other things that are associated with that as well, because I have been hearing also um, that... Um, what we used to term as home as home helps, which is now properly termed as home health care workers, are being told by uh, families now that they don't want um, home care or um, home visits by um, uh, care workers into their elderly parents' homes because of COVID-19, which is kind of worrying in a sense because we also have the latest issue now with regards to uh, home visits per se. So that's a worry. I did have a conversation with a pharmacist who also seem to be indicating to me uh, that um, there would be reduced amounts 
of um, of uh, home visits by home healthcare workers because of the risk of either bringing in COVID nineteen or the care workers themselves getting getting COVID nineteen. So that's a little bit of a worry for me in the times that we're living in now. Particularly, um, I can I can kind of understand why family members would be saying uh, to home healthcare workers. For now, we don't want any visits. We don't want you coming in or we'd be happier if you didn't come in for a while to visit our parents or whatever because of COVID-19. Um, it strikes me as understandable that somebody would have a fear of that. But if there is any kind of reduction in home health care hours, and I'm not saying that there is, this is just a story that I was told. Uh, I'm not so sure that that would be a good idea. Some might suggest that would be like asking nurses not to go to work for, um, you know, uh, because of COVID-19 related issues. But I pass it on. If you have any information on that, do share with me, please. Particularly if you have uh, any stories to corroborate what I'm saying, pick up the phone, one 850 106 text 0868-104-106. Shawnee, good morning. Good morning, so, we, so we're hearing from solicitors that the family law courts are flat out for the past six months. And, and I want to keep your own story very general, if you don't mind, yeah. for obvious legal reasons. But I'm told that you've been involved in helping people um, through I, the COVID period, have you? I have. Um, no, not involved in a in a in in an organisation or anything like that. Just helping friends that are going through the same situation as myself in terms of seeing their children and that. And the amount of people that have said to me, you know, oh, she's not letting me, she or he isn't allowing me to see my daughters or my sons because of COVID. And there's no real appropriate solution to it. There's, there's no real that. response to that either, is there, if you think of it? There's no real response because it can be construed as a genuine concern. But at the same time, it is also, unfortunately, there is a minority of parents there who want to inflict hurt on the other parent. And it's an unfortunate part of life, you know, and there's no real government guidelines on access, etc. You know, written firmly there in any of the guidelines, there is nothing to do with what I call, I use the term split households. Um, where there's two separate households and there's children involved. And there is access um, and visitation, but you're suggesting that those that you're talking to are saying that that COVID is being used as a weapon. It is being used but, as a weapon. But not, but not a genuine worry, though. Not a genuine worry. Um, used, like, I don't know if you're aware of parental alienation, where one parent is, for lack of a better explanation is turned for no reason against the other parent. And um, it is being used as an excuse to deny parental access. And but, even But isn't that what the court is for? Courts in Ireland, Niall, don't work. Family law courts in Ireland don't work. Um, well, a solicitor just told me that the that the threshold of proof is very high, that it, proof is needed in scenarios that you're describing in a court setting. Pr- proof is needed, but however, the length of time it takes to get into family law court, given various circumstances, etc., etc., and as that solicitor said, 
that courts are extremely busy and that leads to a backlog which increases the the gap in time for a parent or grandparent access isn't just about parental visitation parental access it it can be any member of a child's family so when access is granted by a court and that breaks down and the partner I'm not saying the mother, but it can be the, the mother. mother or for, father. Yeah, our father um, says, oh, no, you know, not today or Johnny's sick or we're going away for the weekend or yeah. like, not there when you call to the door. That ends up having to go back to court again. It does. Yeah, OK. And you have to prove the breaches of access. You have to... Like I can, I know myself. No, I, I'm not going to go into. I'm not going to yeah. just very general, please, because we're yeah. going into lava there. A lot worse than hot yeah, water, believe me. But, but it, it takes a period of time. It could take anything up to a year, depending on your location in the country. Okay, okay. So would it be fair to say that there are some dads who haven't had, and again, I'm talking very generally now, yeah. who haven't seen their kids for a long time over COVID? There is. Um, and not just dads, mums as well. You know, it, it doesn't just affect... Well, thank you for females. saying that, yeah. yeah. It affects females as well. And Not as many, no, I would su- not as many, I would suggest, though, no? Not as many, but it is still an issue, like, for parents, grandparents, extended family, not seeing their grandchild, their child, you know, and there's no system in place in law and for those that do this kind of thing unreasonably without any foundation, they're damaging the children. That's it. That's exactly it, Mile. And the detrimental effect that it can have on a child, the lack of support, the, the lack of that family support and parental support is absolutely detrimental to their development. He says the hard. I'm just want to refer finally back to the email, this lengthy email from a heartbroken dad. The hardest part is my children are being poisoned. My older one in particular is anxious and confused. So she is suffering with anxiety. She cries to me that she loves me, even though people are saying bad things about me. Now, the truth is in there somewhere in the middle. I, I accept all of that. Um, yeah. But what 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 should this man do? I mean, he has literally lost everything. Did you hear the email? I didn't hear the email, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but I can, I can go from my own situation. No, I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to do that. No, I'm, I'm not, not going to mention my own situation. Yeah, well, what I'm just, say you, is, you just said you would, and I'm not going to allow that at all. I'm just wondering what does a man. I'm, I'm fully aware of that, now. Okay. But I know from the, the the most important thing is your support network. So, what are um, the dads t- that you're talking to saying? How are they feeling? <laughs> Upset. The the dads and mums that I speak to, they're upset, borderline suicidal. Um, you know, like it's it's such a devastating blow for any parent to 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 to, to lose that connection to to a child and for the child as well. And unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be. A, a proper solution in Irish law. Okay. Okay. To 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 this situation, and it's an issue which has been prevalent, and it's it's thankfully become more known now. 
like there have been developments in terms of family law which will eventually be an improvement on this. Okay. okay. And to to but Unfortunately for some, it will come too late. Okay, and thank you for correcting me when I say dads, you say mums and dads. You're very right there. I'm going to get the lads to send you on the email that you didn't get to hear, Shawnee, if you don't mind, because I'd like to okay. to have a, your your opinion on that maybe tomorrow or early next week. All right? Appreciate you taking okay. the call for now. Take care. one 850 text 0868-104-106. So while I'm happy to talk on this topic, I do so in very general terms. Um, and let me just remind you of that for obvious legal reasons. Mick, good morning. Good morning, Neil. And, How the, are you and the same applies to your good self. You know, it's it's not it's not appropriate for me to drill into your own relationship in any way, shape, or form. No, okay? I, I I don't I don't expect that to happen. All I'd say. I did you hear the? Email. Did you hear me read the email? Incidentally, no, I didn't. I didn't because I just came in for my uh, break. I understand. Home. I understand. Well, I, I will have it. I will have it sent on to you just to get your thoughts on it. But anyway, so in general terms, anyway, when. Say, for instance, when I think you're dealing with when relationships break down, where there are children involved, and you have exactly. you, you you as a parent have to also get on with your new life. Is it? Well, you have to get on with your life, but when when the relationships break down, the people that are forgotten are the kids. They're just like they. There's no thought given to how it how it affects them and. What they think. Well, solicitors tell me that in family law courts, that's exactly the most important focus for a judge: the children. This is what I'm told. Yeah. The children in the in this in the court case or in the hearing are paramount. One hundred percent. But I'm not going to to get involved in 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 my situation. No, okay, I won't allow that. Uh, I won't. Allow yeah, that. yeah. But what the advice I give the dad that wrote the email, from what I can gather, is. And, and this is what I done. I, I kept telling my kids that I love them, right? And like, if if his kids, it, it, no one else, it doesn't matter what a solicitor says or what a judge says. But if he, that father has love for his kids, and if he keeps telling them that, then then one day they'll come back to him because they they love him as well. And like the courts and everything make it so difficult for parents to see their kids. And like when he has the contact with his kids, that's what he should be telling him. And don't be listening to a solicitor writing a letter, sending bearing orders and protection orders, because in my from what what happened to me no I'm not even going to go there the point that you're making is that you need to no I'm not I'm just not even going to entertain it I'm afraid I can't make but in, 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 in general terms keep on telling your kids that you love 100%. them and they as exactly. they grow up will the penny will drop that my dad's a, or my mom drop, or whatever yeah. yeah and like the, the the kids do go through a hard time and, and my kids All right. my oldest went through a hard time and I was there for them and I've told them, like, they'll go in, in time they'll go in and do their own thing. But if you keep telling them that you're there for them, and if they ever want anything, that I'll, you're at the end of a phone. And if, if you can help them, you'll help them. And if you can't, that you'll get someone that can help them. Good man, good man. You know? Well said. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're the most important thing. What other people say is irrelevant. Tis, 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 tis. The bond and the love you have for your kids will bring you through 
that's the way your kids throw. That's that's basically it. Like people get people get a more uh, too mixed up on the legal side of it, yeah. and they forget what's important and what's important is, is the kids. Words of advice that's to someone who's been through it and done just that. I think, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good man. And Good that's man. what I'd say to the man that wrote that email. Okay, is like someday uh, his kids will come back to him, even though they never left him. But if he's there for them. And if you so, show them the support when they need it, and when they ring, that you're there for them. That's all you can do. You can't, like, they'll they, they have their own lives. Uh, they'll do their own thing. And like any parent will tell you, when, when kids get to a certain age, that they're going to do their own thing anyway. Mm-hmm. Be it in a broken up marriage or in, in, in a mm-hmm. stable marriage, they're going to do their own thing. But it's, it's just that if you're there for them when they need you, so hang in there and through the rough. Hang okay. in. My advice would be hang in and keep doing. If he if he if he if he does love his kids, keep doing what he's doing, and they will come back to it. Okay, Mick. Listen, I was going to send you on that email as well, but best wishes do to you. It. Okay, take care. Do it. No problem. Put you back on hold there to get details because I'd like to have a read of it all the same. Text 0868104106. There's a crash on the Christie Ring Bridge heading in the Blackpool direction this morning. It's in the middle lane. There were two cars involved. Nobody was hurt, but it could be causing traffic obstructions. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850 104 Red FM. Right, lines open at 1850 I'll come back to um, relationship issues a, a little later on this morning or in a few minutes time but a lot of texts and a lot of people communicating with regards to rent on Leaside and it has gone through the roof. Um, Prices rental prices in Cork have nearly doubled now in only three years. Uh, Ireland has gone from a nation of homeowners Neil to a nation of home renters. What you pay on a mortgage is cheaper than what you pay in renting. That's the reason it's harder to get a mortgage and the banks aren't lending. Uh, that's what the government wants. As much money as it can get out of people. Imagine after your taxes, another huge chunk of money goes on rent. It's unsustainable and utter madness. Now, I'll just read these out without any comment. Uh, Pierce says, I'm renting at the moment and my work hours have been cut because of COVID-19. But my rent will still go up in the new year. I told the property agent that the increase could be too much for me. And it will force me to have to move out. They couldn't care less. They told me if I move, it's up to me to find somewhere else to move into. I'd love to name them, but it's not fair on my housemates. What should I do? Shane says, if the banks made it a little easier to get a mortgage, then we wouldn't have to deal with the constant increases on rentals. The way things are, it's practically impossible for a couple to save for a deposit to purchase a house while paying these crazy prices. By the way... There were many people who had agreements on mortgages in the past six months who then went on pop pandemic payments because they worked curtailed hours or they were temporarily laid off and the banks withdrew the mortgage offers. Jamie says, um, rental, this is the very reason I am reluctant to come back to Cork. It's the reason I live so far away from my family now because of extortionate living costs and rental prices for homes that are most likely aren't even worth a quarter of the amount that people are actually paying for them. It's a pity. It's pure greed. I mean, it has changed. And I know I'm going back a long way, but I remember years and years ago when I started out first and we was renting bedsits and house shares and all sorts of places, some of them were shocking. Uh, but you could literally move from place to place week in, week out. You could just keep moving around. I mean, there was so much availability. Jade says, mobile homes are the way forward. It's just finding somewhere to park it up 
while saving for a mortgage. I feel sorry for people who literally work to pay the majority of their wage to a greedy landlord. That must be so tough. Kelly says, rent? Ridiculous. It's an absolute joke what landlords and agencies charge. I have a two-bed for €1,415 a month. Thank God I have HAP to help, but I must still come up with 425 a month to pay, and that doesn't include the bills. Two-bedroom house, €1,415. One final one. I pay €1,500 a month for a two-bed place in Blackpool. It's damp and old with electric heating. It's scandalous, but I'd rather that than be homeless. If the council could give me a home that needs refurbishment, I'd refurbish it myself just to have my own affordable home. I don't understand why they are leaving these homes abandoned for years when people are homeless. I understand the cost of it to refurbish it, but if they looked at the likes of couples like myself with my husband who are saving for a mortgage while renting, trying to get on the property ladder, they will see how tough it is. So €1,500 a month for a two-bed place in Blackpool. Damp. Not a great place for you and certainly not a great place if there are kids involved. Uh, And then, uh, with regards to the budget um, and people talking about, uh, you know, I mean, it was an awful lot of money spent in the budget, really and truly. 17 billion was thrown at the budget on top of the 38 billion in the hole that we're already in because of COVID. But Beth says... If you can't afford a child, then don't have one. Why should the government support you because you decide to have a child? Why don't the men stay at home? Let the women work. Look at your partner for support. People need to stop looking to the government. Forget children's allowance. Give out the free snip to men and the free pill for women. Interesting perspective. I wonder what people think of that. Text 0868104106. Um, and then I think this is correcting me really, or, or at least giving me a slap on the wrist. Students pay registration fees of €3,600. Then there is accommodation on top of it. Approximately €6,000 to do an online course. And people complaining because they get €250 in the budget. Not all students get Susie grants. Students work in part-time jobs to get them through college. Parents make huge sacrifices for them. Students are finding it really difficult to do courses online and some are in their final year in college too. Point being here, cut some slack for students. Um, Seamus was telling me this morning uh, of a story of um, a supermarket apparently that has emailed all of their student part-time staff saying, sorry, because you're in college now, because you're out and about, uh, there is no more part-time work for you during COVID-19. Morning, Neil. It was suggested in July that families who had babies during the pandemic would receive an additional three weeks each maternity and paternity at the rate of €245 a week. Was this granted in the budget? Oh, I can check it. Sinn Féin take credit for the positive sides of the budget. My God, the constant negative views from Sinn Féin is just sickening. Especially in the time of pandemic, one would think they're, one would think they're just upset that the government have created a budget that might steer some of the new Sinn Féin voters away and back to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And a final one for now, I smoke and I'm sick of listening to people say it's great that cigarettes have gone up in price and the increase will make people give them up. Surely it's my choice to give the cigarettes up or not. Yet again, another year of drink not touched in the budget. And how much does that cost the state? It costs them with alcohol poisoning, drunk drivers, fights, domestic violence. It's not cigarettes that are causing COVID house parties, you know. It's the cheap drink. We all have our vices, 
but for God's sake, give the poor old smokers a break. We're a dying breed. Exclamation mark. I wonder are you a dying breed in more ways than one, Elaine in Mallow. Anyway, there's a selection of texts to 0868104106. And off licenses are getting a bashing. Have you any interest in balance in your radio program? I'm fed up of all of the publicans you have on constantly moaning and wanting to drag the off licenses down. I think when business has crippled, as the pubs are demanding, the off licenses should suffer the same. It's just arrogant and self-serving for publicans to point fingers and want the off licenses closed as well. But somebody else suggests off licenses should be closed and supermarkets should also stop selling cheap drink, but open the pubs and restaurants. There'll be less people out of a job like waiters and waitresses. It'll stop house parties if the pubs are open. If there's no alcohol, there'll be no incentive to go to a house after the pub closes or hold parties if they can't go to an off-licenses. Off-licenses, I should say. Get stricter on enforcing the laws in pubs. See if the spike goes down. Closing pubs and restaurants is nonsense. The numbers are going up. Doing the same thing again and expecting a different outcome is just the definition of madness. Thank you for those. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Okay, so we'll come back to all of those stories that we've been developing all morning. So, uh, meanwhile, it is day four of our giveaway of a large bespoke abstract art piece. It will be custom created for you by the internationally renowned artist Chris O'Hara. So, it's day four. We'll have five qualifiers and a winner tomorrow. So, every day I'm playing a little piece of audio and that piece of audio yesterday was Picasso God knows who will be today that little piece of audio hopefully will tell you or you should be able to guess the name of the artist and the painting okay so I'm going to play it now and again just before midday so here's today you need to guess the artist and the painting from this piece of audio Don't say anything for now. I could have thought of another song you could have played. Um, there's a lot going on there. Um, rather abstract, that audio clue, don't you think? But hopefully you'll be able to um, uh, guess the artist and the name of <laughs> the piece of art based on that piece of audio. It's a mind skill, really, isn't it? It's a mind skill. You know, you talk about the last six months. My apologies to Caroline. I had wanted to talk to her earlier in the week. But you think about, about COVID and COVID-related stuff in our hospitals, our checkups, our uh, consultants' appointments and stuff like that. Uh, and maybe a lot of people, you know, over the past six months have been kind of long-fingering issues and saying, ah, I couldn't be bothered now getting this checked out, getting that checked out because I can't get seen and there's waiting lists and all we hear on the radio is that you can't get to see a consultant, you can't get or you shouldn't get into a hospital and what have you. But it can have devastating consequences if you don't fight your corner, I can tell you that. Caroline, good morning. Hello, good morning. And, 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 I, know, and I know initially you sent me a rather lengthy email on it, so thank you for sharing the story, um, Mano a Mano, if you like. Um, this was all back during lockdown, wasn't it? It is indeed, Neil. Um, I suppose it, well, it would have started in October, just briefly. I went in for a hysteroscopy, which is just a cleaning of the womb, basically, because uh, I was bleeding. And when the procedure took place, um, there was one of my gynecologist team mentioned that there was a shadow on um, my ovary. So I wanted to pursue this. I wanted to know what the shadow was, and they dismissed it. So I have a busy life, and as with all of them... But why dismiss it? Why even bring it up then to worry you, like... It, 
You know, I think it was it was brought up almost by mistake because it was, it was one of her team brought it up. Whereas at this point in time, unfortunately, she had actually gone on a plane to go on holiday. Okay, the, but anyway, shadow is a shadow, and that would worry me. Anyway, so it yeah. was, yes, yeah, and it did worry me. And because it was a Friday, they said, "Look, you know, contact us again on Monday, whatever." Which I did do, and I I made a lot of phone calls, and they said I'd have to wait for her, for her to come back from holiday. So, which is what I did. So in November, and she came back from holidays and made another appointment, went in. Uh, I had still been bleeding at that stage, so she was saying, oh, I'm more, more concerned about the bleeding, we're going to put you on medication. And I said, okay, well, you know, this is, as with, I'm, I'm of a generation, I'm 52 years of age, Neil, and I'm of a generation where I suppose we still kind of grew up with that certain amount of respect for those that are supposed to have the knowledge. And I kind of said, okay, look, then we, we go down this road. So, went on the road of medication. By January, I still wasn't happy, and I still wasn't happy that I didn't get an answer for this shadow. Now, one of the things that she had said was that, look, it's probably a piece of coil, you know, that happens, you know, and I was like, well, it could be, except that I never had the coil. So there, there was these kind of like erratic kind of suggestions thrown out there to dismiss the fact I wanted to pursue this. Okay, I just mentioned this without drilling into it. You say that it did from time to time lead to heated exchanges in the office, but anyway. Oh, in yeah. January, the January was the final call. January was the final call. I went in and I said, because we put down a busy Christmas of a, a flower shop and children and dad lives with us and as with all women, we put ourselves last, which is a very big point in in my whole conversation. <laughs> am, I supposed to, am I supposed to respond to that? Yeah, and probably not. I sound like <laughs> such a feminist, Neil. I okay, know I do. Then. But I'll be quite honest with you. You know, I do think we are amazing. I think what we have yeah, I, I do too. Amazing, but I have to know? say, I'm hearing so, more yeah. and more these days. Typical man. Typical man. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I'm not casting any assertions on the men because they've been fabulous too. But I am certainly putting on the superwoman cape here. Now Where would all you florists be if men weren't yeah. buying flowers? Flowers. Don't get me started. Well, well, we're grateful for that too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, uh, but Trace, the women organise the wedding, so we'll say nothing about that. They just send the men to one. So go on. That's for another day. Go on. Go on. <laughs> So, uh, so then in January I went in and I said, look, you know, I, I wasn't ill. My blood tests were perfect. I went to my own GP. My bloods were all coming back fine. And I went in and I said, look, I'm still, there's something in my head. I said, and there's something about my body. I said, I'm just not happy. I want to know. So we had a major heated exchange about the fact that I wanted to pursue it. And she wasn't interested. Okay. So I came out of there, went to my GP and said, look, I want a second opinion. So that second opinion um, was with another gynecologist, but it was to take place the first week of lockdown. So unfortunately, that never took place. So then as lockdown went on, I just knew myself there was something not right. Um, my GP did bloods again. Everything came up fine. Um, as with everybody, we got through lockdown. Um, I'm always saying it. Car people are amazing. The support people give each other. We, we got through it and we'll do it again. But I just knew myself there just wasn't something right. So we reopened our shop the 8th of, of June. And again, that was my priority. The minute that was done, um, I then looked to myself again and went to the GP and said, you know, look, he knows me well because I've had major surgeries, but nothing to do with anything to do with cancer. But he said, look, it's Friday evening. Well, what do you want? And I said, right now, I want to be in hospital. I know that there's something wrong. I want a second opinion so, anyway. I want a second. Well, you see, a second opinion would be put on me on a waiting list again. Even though I, I can go private, I'm very lucky in that respect. I would still be on a waiting list. 
I wasn't happy. So did, you put, did, did he organise for you to go into the, I guess, CUM Hench, was it? No, I had to go through A&E. I had to go Friday evening. He said, are you sure you want to do this car? He said, it's, it's Friday evening, you know, and you're going to have to go through A&E. And I said, yeah, I'm, I just feel so strongly about it right at this moment. So I went in and I thought 12 hours later, and I went to make a long, long session short in there. Uh, 12 hours later, I was sent over to CUMH. Um, I was so lucky. Um, one of the top gynecological oncologists, John Coulter, happened to be on that weekend. And he examined me and he said, just on a physical examination, Neil, he said, he spoke the fact that it was it could be cancer. And we spoke in a chemotherapy. And I'll be quite honest with you, they were words, like those words just, they, they just shattered my world. I know. But this, like, this was after, I, I, I'm getting emotional now <laughs> because I've had very little sleep last night as well. Because there are the chemo isn't the crappy, but sure, we'll, we'll get on with it, um, which is grand. So anyway, he, he did a CT scan. And with the CT scan, he found a cyst the size of a melon. And my organs were after attaching themselves to it. So surgery had to take place. Immediately, that's so within bizarre. a couple of days, that's just bizarre. Yeah. So the surgery took place. He removed um, what had to be removed. So he took everything: uh, uterus, cervix, womb, fallopian tubes, uh, ovaries, and this incredible size of um, a growth. So out came the melon, your womb, your uterus, melon, yeah. your cervix, your fallopian tubes, yeah. your ovaries, yeah. and whatever parasitical yes. uh, residue yeah. had attached to. It, that had to be all exactly. taken out, yeah. scraped out, and stuff. Yeah. And the, no, and it, the it cyst. Was, yes. No, he was fantastic because, like, he saved all my organs. And at the time, I said to him, I said to him, look, you go in, you take everything. You take everything and we'll deal with it afterwards. But don't go back in, please, in a few months' time and do this all over again. Let's just do it now. Whatever it, it takes, we're, we're going to do this. Because I couldn't face the consequences of losing my children. That's, that's bottom line, really. So... He took it, fantastic surgery. I, I recovered very well after surgery. That was fine. There was some dark places there already after it. Um, but the longest thing was the two-week wait for the biopsy results. From the cyst. So then I had to, from the cyst. So the two-week wait took place and, and your mind is in turmoil. You know, it's, it's like, as I said in the email, it's like Russian roulette. You're going through the day going, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, and what if I'm not fine? And it's, it's quite horrific. It's an awful thing. And so many people are going through this. And then I uh, went into the biopsy results. And he said, um, okay, so he said it was a very aggressive stage two cancer in the cyst. And you had cancer in two other places beginning. And he said, we've got it all. He said, we've removed it all. But if it had so been six went, months later or 12 months later... Um, it wouldn't have had to be in that long. This was so aggressive. It grew from a shadow to a melon in six months. We, so at the rate it was growing, a couple of weeks could have made a difference, Neil. You don't know really with cancer, I think, in the growth, apparently. So what emotions... Like, he got it anyway. Did he say that... He, start he the chemo. It, well, he got it all. He, well, he, he removed everything and got it all. Um, unfortunately, the cancer in the fallopian tube ruptured slightly on removal so just because there might be floating cells still in there so um, we've got to chemo those out yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so I've done chemo now eight weeks um, and I'm looking at maybe another three or four months you know um, and, and I'll be quite honest with you because this is another thing I want to bring to 
to, to women's to people's attention is I've had quite a few people chat to me about it because I, I, I live quite a public life being in you know a local business or whatever and I've had women come up to me saying do you know yeah I'm kind of afraid to get it checked because I'd be so afraid of chemotherapy do you know it's not something to be frightened of and no matter what I say but so what's the alternative like do you know, it's exactly, you know, but I, I know that chemo, I suppose, over the years has been given, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of side effects. There's, it throws everything at now you. How has it been you for you? It. It's been awful. <laughs> so she laughing? Because, you know, yeah, well, you know what now? There, there's been, I still make memories out of it. Do you know, like before I started the chemo, I took my, my daughter, she was then 12. We went in and we did a wig trying on session, right? And I'm not joking. We tried on some wigs. I was like a drag queen in some of them. And we laughed and we picked the wig and we came out and that was grand. Uh, when I got the head shaved, um, because it started falling out, an emotional moment in the shower when your hair starts falling out, got over it. And then I said, look, let's just get it shaved. So we shaved it to a blade too, um, rather than cutting it to the, to the skin, basically. And... Um, I looked like somebody that was going into Wentworth Prison, so I heard every prison joke there was, I'd say, for that week. Uh, eventually, that fell out too, and I have an 11-year-old son, and my 81-year-old dad lives with us, and um, I have heard every bald joke, I'd say, there possibly is going on for the last few weeks. Do you know? And that's all fine. You know, that's... Your dad is of the age where he probably calls you Kojak, I suppose. Oh, exactly. That was the first one. I, he wanted. I know. He did the. He did one better. He gave me a lollipop. Do you know? It's oh. like, yeah. You know. It's Who loves your baby? Who loves your baby? Yeah. Yeah. And my son come around. Mom, careful now. You lose your hair. Like if I was losing the rag over something. And did my you dad get? Did you get a wig? Do you know, I got a wig and I went out with the wig on when I had the head shaved and I'd lasted about two hours and then I took it off. Why? I just. I wasn't comfortable. It was too hot. Um. I wasn't comfortable working in it. I went, I went back to work, sure. You know, I, I go in, I work, which, to be fair now, I couldn't do it without Katie and Rachel and Melissa, the girls in the shop, because if I'm not feeling well, I just go home and lie down. Yeah. You know, uh, my dad and Dave are there for support and that, so, well, you know. Does, is I, it I, very, do you find yourself very nauseous as well? Oh, the nauseousness is 24-7 at the moment, because I had a bad reaction to the chemo a few weeks back, so they had to change the type of um, chemo it was. Um, yeah, everything, nauseousness, uh, diarrhea, constipation, nerve ending pains, um, oh, my head got affected, um, you know, you have mouth ulcers, I didn't get the mouth ulcers, you can get those, it's just not pleasant, dry mouth, all those things, but they're nothing to be afraid of, they're no worse or no better than a bad hangover or a dodgy curry, and I mean that most sincerely, you just put it behind you, I've had some of the worst days and as far as I'm concerned, they're yesterday's. Yeah. And I wake up in the morning and go, do you know what? Today is fine. How are you now? My story is different. I'm, I'm kind of nauseous now and I'm drinking water because <laughs> I have a dry mouth as well. But, um, but it's fine. Today is, a, today is an okay day. Today is a, is a good day. What is, so what is the... You see, I'm hearing that an awful lot of women aren't going for cervical smear appointments, but mm. I'm being told that one of the main reasons for that is that they um, are gone private because they don't trust the, trust the public system because of everything to do with Vicky Phelan and other unfortunate women. Um, but And I do know that men are slow to get prostate checks and testicular cancer checks and stuff like that. Is that because they just are afraid? I think a lot of it has got to do with fear. I think an awful lot of it has got to do with fear, I'll be honest with you. And but the thing about it is is that like we're 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 such we're such a strong nation anyway. We're very strong people that we think we're staying alive by not getting this done to do everything for everybody else. 
to look after our kids, to, you know, to go visit our parents or whatever. And we think that when we put this on the back burner, that it might never happen to us. I'm sure for as long as we're fine. I mean, bear in mind, I was perfectly happy. I was, you know, there was nothing, as far as I was concerned, my bloods were fantastic. I had loads of energy. I was doing lots of things. But it was just, my gut was telling me, and I rode with my gut. And thankfully, I did. But does it anger you? I mean, are you not angry that the medical advice was wrong? I am so angry, I can't face her yet. Because if I faced her, which I have every intention of doing, but right at this moment, I'm weak. So if I faced her, I would just be a blubbering wreck. And I don't think that I could get across to her what she has done to me. Good. Well, there will come a time when you'll be able to communicate that message. But the, one of the overwhelming senses for you must have been your children and, and the potential of leaving them and without a mother. Shocking. Shocking. Absolutely. And total Shocking. helplessness. No control over the scenario. None. None. And the thing about it is, is that, like, at, at that moment when he mentioned cancer, because again, like, I would have grown up with, like, it was the big C and it was, wasn't very spoken about. And if it was a parent, a friend of a parent had it, cancer meant death. Cancer no longer means death. And people need to become aware of that yeah, too. Yeah. Years ago, it was a different story. If you heard somebody had cancer, it was death. Now, unfortunately, I'm 20 years of florist male and the, like we see death come in the door every day. We do funerals every day. And the bulk of our funerals, they're still cancer related. But for a lot of them, it's because you hear, oh, by the time they went, it was too late. By the time they went, it was stage four and it was aggressive and it was this. Or they didn't. Do you know, those are the stories. You know, so like cancer and unfortunately then a different story. But suicide would be the second greatest death and funerals we do inside in the shop over the last 20 years. And more so over the last 10 years. Say, so, that, like, say that again. A cancer and suicides would be the, the biggest amount of funerals. They would be the biggest funerals that we would do inside in the shop at any time. And it's that great. Was it that way ten years ago? No, no. It was twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, about the first five years, I actually thought I was going to give up being a florist because there was too much grief coming in the door. And don't get me wrong; it's a it's a fantastic job. We've weddings, we've births, we've you know happy occasions, beautiful messages. But you never forget. You never ever forget the deaths through suicide that come in the door. And as I said, unfortunately, more so than ever now. Oh, more so. The last six years, you never know on a Monday morning, and it's always nearly a Monday morning that we would get the first one in. Uh, we've gone in on a Monday morning, there could be two or three deaths over the weekend in Cork, City and County. Suicide. And they will be suicide related, yes. Yes. And it, it, it is, it's, it's incredible, it's shocking, it's... I, I mean, I, I, forgive me if, if, I'm, if I'm dwelling on this too long, but would it be kind of all ages, primarily men, primarily all, young men? No, all ages now. All ages. And in fact, it beggars belief people often, like unless you were actually, you know, in the position where you know this or that you're an undertaker or somebody who knows that I'm speaking the truth. Um, we, in one particular week, um, and it was last November, November and January would be the biggest months for it, always. We would do the most amount of funerals for suicides in November and January. But there was one particular week, there was a 76-year-old lady, there was a 42-year-old mom, and there was a, 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 a young fellow, a late teenager. Wow, that in is across one, the age spectrum, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? So it's a, you know, a, that, that is a very different type of grief, isn't it? Because there's bewilderment amongst those that are mourning, aren't they? You know, it's, why? It's, you know, it's why? horrendous. It's horrendous because it's not just the wise, it's the when it is young people and, and unfortunately the majority of them are young people, the majority of them. In our cases, now I'm only speaking from what I know coming in the shop. I don't know if the staff 
will back up that as a general rule. But I'm telling you that it will be usually young men would be the bulk of the suicides that would um, occur that people take their own lives. But, and you're um, just one, you're just one florist. So other florists mm-hmm. are probably also dealing with suicide yeah. floral arrangements yeah. for funerals. Yeah. And we have a closed network of Irish florists in that, um, that I'm involved in and we share our stories because sometimes they're a little bit heavy to hang on to, do you know? And we do share like, kind of, you know, are you, like it could be everything from the bridezilla to, you know, to the kind of just, you know, they're just that bad story. And um, it would be in general the same we would have the same thoughts we would, would all have the same um type of situations going on in different parts so has the pro- has has have suicide numbers been compounded as in sorry increased over the past six months then oh well, you see i was closed i was closed for lockdown but are your colleagues saying so that- I did. yes yes in different parts of ireland there would be it, it, it's, it's quite significant actually in different parts of the country as to where it seems to take place um why i don't know like obviously we don't have any answers and that for that but i do believe you see I, and i do believe very very strongly that again um that we need to look a little bit more into like you know going into another lockdown now for example there has to be more mental support for people and i know we harped on about this and, and you probably did as well for a few weeks but like the government might make the rules, but I'm telling you, it is the volunteers actually run the country, and there have been associations out there like Meals on Wheels, Dogs for the Disabled, Balance and Balancolic. They provided more support for these people. I worry about the, there's there's people still cocooning, mm. elderly people that are, are probably afraid still to come outside their door, mm. and I I just I'm just afraid that these are going to be bad stories. Coming into the end of and November. overnight, of course, it's absolutely head into winter and longer, darker, earlier yeah. nights. And now we're being asked yeah. to. And as I said, I could, yeah. I could write it over. November and January would be, in our experience, the two months that would be the busiest for people taking their own lives. And there is reasons behind that. And we need to make those changes. Do you know, okay. and people, I know people are very depressed at the moment, and this isn't a depressing. My, my story is a good story, Neil. Yeah, it is, you know, but I know I touched on a different aspect of your story that you hadn't expected, but I'm glad that I did. I mean, it's, 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 it's alarming, no, the figures and stuff. Because it's important, but, yeah. But just, you know, when you were waiting for the two weeks for the results back from the biopsy, do you go, did you go through that normal emotional um, journey that people do, uh, denial, uh, deal-making, oh, yeah. promises, yeah. Um, anger? I argued... But John, I actually argued with, um, before the surgery, I told him he could be wrong. And he said, look, Carolyn, he said, I, I, I've done this hundreds of times. He said, I don't believe it. I said, no, I said, I know you know what you're saying. But right now, I am telling you that you could be wrong because I can't face the alternative. Yeah, so but said, while no, you were waiting yourself, personally, privately, oh. in your own head, the emotions yeah, you must Russian have gone through. Yeah. Russian roulette is the only way I could describe Did it. Did you make any deals or promises with yourself or with God, get me through this and I'll do this, that and um, the other? Oh, everybody. As in, like, people close to me, obviously, people I work with, um, people who I knew would, would find out, like, I'm involved in various groups, as you know. Um, there was, and I told them, and... I didn't, I took great faith and belief. I don't have great faith and belief in, in, in very much. Um, my mum passed away three years ago and I, I believe she was going to look after me anyway. But um, certainly there was, people came to me. I, I started finding things like there was somebody dropped a St. Teresa rosary bead into my um, porch. Um, somebody gave me a Padre Pio rosary bead. Um, only the other day somebody dropped in one from Fatima. And I believe in other people's convictions and that kept me going. Other people's belief and hope is really what kept me going. But how come you say that you've, you you worried that you would be leaving your children, but you would be going to your mother? That's faith, isn't no, it? No, no, no. 
Um, no, I wasn't with, no, I wasn't going to mum. Mum is, is there and I believe the mum is looking after me for me to be here. I do believe that, you know, I have great, I do have faith. I, I do have faith, but I don't think my faith was going to be strong enough to get me through the waiting phase of not knowing whether he was going to open me up and close me up and tell me to go home and get my fares in order. I know what you're saying. I walk yeah. in yeah. and say to me, I'm sorry, Carolyn, you've got, you've got a few months to live. My faith was not going to be able to take me through that, but my belief in other people's convictions and faith is what I hung on to. Wow. I really did hang on to what it was like people's support. I didn't care if it was a leprechaun they were praying to. If they believe that that was going to work, then as far as I was concerned, I'm going to hang on to that. That's going to work for me. You know, it's it's an amazing journey you've been through all on the basis that you listened to your gut, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, yeah, and, and and people, like, please do. If anybody is in doubt out there, you know, like, you will get through it, it will be fine, but go get the answers. Go to get the answers so that you can deal with it. And as I said, the reason for me speaking about this is that I've spoken to people have popped into the shop and they've asked me questions that were concerned me that they haven't taken that next step. And I just feel, you know, as I said, you know, and I, again now I can't claim to, like I'm inside in the oncology unit every Tuesday and I'm with people whose stories are different. They're fighting cancer, some of these people. Um, and again, hats off to, my God, you go into the oncology unit, receptionist Liz is there, the nurses are amazing. I, it's the nicest cup of tea I have on a Tuesday morning is the lady who comes around with the tea and a fresh scone because I sit there, I'm inside the oncology unit and I know that as bad as it's going to be, I'm alive to have that cup of tea. And so, particularly to ladies, you say, please listen, we are warriors, putting our families first, taking on every role conceivable during lockdown. I put a caveat on that. Instead. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I tell you, we are, and we continue to be. And if there is another lockdown, we get through that too. But people need to look out for each other. We need to do just a little bit more for each other, Neil. And we will do it. We've done it before, and we'll do it again. But, but you, ac- you do accept that you, you do accept that that men do pull a bit of their weight too. Like in fairness. <laughs> We, I, do you know what now? If it wasn't for my dad, I tell you, putting classes together and making boxes and doing everything he's supposed to do, and my husband is a carpenter, so you can imagine the work he had to do reopening the shop, and we were involved in a charity shop, Balancholic for Balance, and that was all put together. So I give them their due. They did their bit. You know, they cooked the occasional dinner. My dad peels the potatoes. <laughs> I better give them credit or I'll get nothing done when I go home. All right, well, listen, stay in touch, but Stocks and Stems is reopened for business, and it's good to have you we back. Thank you so much. Neil. Thanks take care, Caroline. And take care to everybody. Cheers. Okay, bye now. Bye. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. For those of you that are texting with regards to answering the audio clue for the artist and uh, piece of art, a lot of you are right. All you need to do now is get on the air when I open the phone lines in about five or six minutes' time. But you are right. Also, can I just say, with regards to my conversation with Caroline and then my earlier conversation with uh, men who have been through uh, marital breakup where, where children were involved. A texter here says, why did you allow Caroline to tell her horrific story uh, about cancer without censorship? For instance, allowing her to name the doctor or the gynecologist, the oncologist and the surgeon who found the cancer um, um, and that could lead to legal proceedings, which it won't incidentally, but yet you fully censor the father's not seeing their children. It, now that's a that's a very fair question to ask. I have to say, I have no problem with that question being asked. But if I, if you allow me, just answer it very quickly. The reason why they're not the same, 
both of those conversations are 100% different because in the case of, say, for instance, um, the dads who've been on the air where I have to keep things quite general, it's because we're talking about family law and family law is held in camera. It's not open court. So a lot of what would have been discussed, say, for instance, on air with me would have breached family law rules and laws. And can I just say that the broadcast defamation laws in Ireland are the hardest that I've ever come across by comparison to other countries. Um, they are so strict um, and come down very, very heavy on broadcasters, more so than anywhere else in the world, I believe. Well, the free world anyway, the Defamation Act here, it's just unbelievably strict. Uh, so it's on that basis to keep everybody safe. The point being, if, for instance, people were on air, and like if it was a Tusla case involved in it, that's a no-go area. I've learned that in my peril. I've been in court way too many times in front of judges because of issues like that. Uh, in fact, I think if it, if it were to happen again, I probably would end up going to jail. So I need to be very careful about that anyway. But uh, a lot of the time, if, if you allow people on unchecked, telling their own personal stories with regards to marital breakdowns and kids being in the middle of it, and the family law courts, which are in private and camera. Um, it becomes a he said, she said, everybody is washing their dirty linen in public, and then the other party in it, the ex-husband or the ex-wife, sues me, sues the ex-partner, we're all back in court, we're up before a judge, uh, and the whole thing just goes pear-shaped. Does that answer your, your query and your question? If not, come back and I'll try and clarify it some more for you. Uh, I mentioned that again, actually, just ahead of my call with Adam, but I think he probably gets it anyway. Adam, good morning. Good morning, how are you? You understand what I'm saying in that regard? I do completely, yes. Family law is all uh, held in private and in camera. Yeah. So, so it can be discussed outside court. It's not me. It's just the way it is in this country. And the, and, and probably right because it is, there it, are children it's involved. Order because, because you're dealing with the welfare of the dependent children. Correct. You know, which, okay. which, which is very serious. Okay. okay. But you did want to contribute nonetheless. What's on your mind? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't hear your email, but I caught a comment. Is, the, is this man's daughter texting her father saying that she misses him and wants to spend more time with him? Or yeah, and, and I'm, yes, yeah. and I am going to send on the email to you when we get off okay. air. Yeah. There, there is a legal recourse that that man takes. He can, he can take an application under what's called the 1964 Guardianship of Infants Act. Now, under the Act, an infant is anybody uh, up to the age of 21, and it deals specifically with the welfare of the child. So let me give you an example. It deals with the child's moral welfare, emotional welfare, religious welfare, educational welfare, and social welfare. So if you have a situation where uh, his daughter really misses him and would like to spend more time with him, uh, you know, dealing specifically with her welfare, obviously she's suffering and she's missing out on her relationship with her father. So, like, there is an avenue for him to make an application back to the court for, for you know, for, for for him to try and get more time with his... With that his would involve a court-appointed psychologist, would it? Uh, no. Uh, you can also ask the court to bring what's called a Section 47 report. You ask a judge to, uh, to make an order for that report to be made. What happens then is a judge can... Um, uh, get the child or children, uh, however many children he has, interviewed by um, court-appointed family therapists and uh, psychologists. Now, they will do, uh, they'll meet the children and they will interview the children and uh, and the both parties involved, both parents. They will write a report and send it to the judge. Uh, that report is the uh, is a property of the court service uh, of Ireland, but a judge will also uh, use that in his decision making in determining in determining custody and access. So there yeah. is a legal route. Well, I mean, in the case of the, in the case of this email, this isn't about 
uh, custody as such because I think he's not here to say this, but I think he would be okay with the children staying in the family home, you know, yes, that they okay. know and they that they're comfortable in. Um, you know, it's, it's like that. That isn't the issue here, but I suppose it also covers access, doesn't it? Or you know, ask, asking the children whether they have worries or issues. Well, if, if the nub of the situation is that he wants to spend more time with his children, but he's not getting enough access to them, the only recourse he can have is back to the court system under Section 11 application. Okay. You know, if, if, if he, if he isn't can that show, very expensive though for a dad. It is, but it is the uh, legal route you have to go, you know, for, for you know to 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 gain uh, either joint custody of or, or you know if you want to, if you want to join custody of the children. I don't know what the man's specific uh, circumstances are, you know, and you can also ask the judge to make an order for a section forty-seven report. The legislation changed in this country a few years ago, where, where they brought in new legislation where the court would specifically deal with the voice of the child. You know, so uh, a child can also be be um, be interviewed to see maybe his children may want to spend more time with him. You know, maybe he wants to maybe he's time at the weekend to take him to you know football training or hockey training or, or whatever whatever. His it's it's do. just a, it's you just know, an, you know? it's an example really of an email of where where a relationship breaks down, an unhappy marriage, where from what he's saying. His ex-wife was totally unreasonable, even within the marriage. That's the impression that I get, where he feels he was gaslighted and accusations of all sorts of things, checking his phone and criticizing him, starting rows. And well, but, well but, when you go to court, you know, a judge will only deal with fact. Now, his wife can see that and she likes about him, but if, she, if there's no proof there to back up any, any of what she's saying, well, then, you know, uh, you know a court won't entertain it. But uh, from the point of view is point of view of if you have any forger out there, you know, that's from a broken uh, dramatic relationship has uh, in irretrievably broken down and they are they would like to spend more time with their children and more importantly, if their children would like to spend more time with them and if you have a son or daughter that's texting their father saying that I, I would like to spend more time with you, I miss you a lot and all this kind of stuff, then there is recourse for, for a person to go to court and Look at the whole area of custody and access. Okay. You know, and even, and even look towards getting joint custody for his children. Okay. I'll send it on to you. You can have a closer look at the details. It's a four page email. You can have a look at it. Stay on hold. I'll get your email address. Okay. Okay. Appreciate it for now. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. Okay, a lot of what we're talking about we'll pick up in the morning. I was wishing a happy birthday for tomorrow to Angela Lansbury, who'll be 95. I said she's living in East Cork, not too far from Ballymaloo. But somebody says, I'm not sure you're correct about Angela still living in Cork. I thought she moved to Los Angeles years ago. So that's another one that we're going to have to solve, that riddle. Where is Angela Lansbury, lads? Text 0868104. 106. Um, before I love you and leave you, there's been an accident as you come out of the tunnel now um, towards the Dunkettle interchange. The emergency services are at the scene. Two car collisions. So a couple of crashes this morning. One on the Christie Ring Bridge and another as you come out of the tunnel towards the Dunkettle interchange. Um, I will come back to the other texts on that. But before I go this morning, we uh, started, of course, with the news that we've had some changes. We're kind of like level 3.5 at this stage. They've decided to increase the level of restrictions nationwide. Um, and we know of uh, level 4 for border counties and wet pubs closed in, in Dublin. And here we still have, you know, the bars and, and the cafes and the takeaways open and the bars open for outdoor 15 people, all the kind of thing. But the big change is no visitors to home or garden, uh, with the exception of visits for essential purposes 
like family reasons. And one of those, and this is just for people who might be a little bit worried, particularly uh, seniors. Uh, I, I believe that this should have no impact on visiting seniors, to be quite honest with you, on the basis that uh, you can visit for essential purposes, like essential family reasons, in particular those who live alone or who are elderly, a son or daughter can still visit. Uh, and I think that is important to remind people of that because you don't want people being overly worried or feeling overly isolated. So we're talking about no more um, family dinners or people over for dinner or people in the house or the garden anymore, even with the heater outdoors for a cup of coffee. But with regards to an elderly parent or a senior or somebody who's living alone or in need of help for all of those different compassionate reasons, my understanding of it, and I think I'm correct in saying that is still allowed. So that's important. That's the big change there. There are changes to sport and stuff like that. The only outdoor settings now that are permissible for now anyway, are outdoor settings away from the home, away from the garden, where up to six people from no more than two households can meet, uh, maintaining social distancing um, for a coffee or an outside dinner or what have you, but not in the home. So then you could be speaking all morning as to why is that not allowed in the garden or the home when all sorts of other things are allowed? Karina says isolating people even further will definitely push mental health rates and suicides way up. I had an appointment with my surgeon two days ago and I still have heard nothing from them. People will lose their lives far more now than ever and it won't be from being infected by COVID-19. Janice says it's ridiculous. I can't take my kids to see their grandparents and family but they can sit in a classroom with 20 kids every day and go to a childminder and mix with other kids. Uh, Noel says we might as well be in complete lockdown as it's the normal people who are doing their bit to help with the virus who are suffering. I can't go visit my sisters, but I can go to work on the front line and be working with lots of people from different households. That's brilliant. And that's certainly going to help the situation big time. Perry says the government makes a complete sham of everything it has a hand in, like housing, education and transport. Why would anyone think COVID-19 would be handled any differently? The data is there. Lockdowns don't work. Protect the elderly and the vulnerable. Let everybody else go about their business. The chances of the average person being seriously ill from COVID-19 are extremely low. But what are you suggesting when you talk about protecting the elderly and the vulnerable? Are you saying that they should be in lockdown? Because a lot of people get angry when they hear that. Martina says, this was one of the few luxuries we had left to help maintain our own mental health and they take it away. Yet the Gardaí will still pass the houses that are having house parties. People gathering in groups that are too big will still continue to do this. And they'll continue to break the rules. We're still expected to send our children into schools that are already overcrowded. We can't sit in a hospital waiting room or doctor's surgery either. There's a huge sense of hopelessness in the air today. Right, I'll come back to those in a few minutes' time. But here's the audio piece to become Thursday's qualifier for a bespoke abstract art piece from Chris O'Hara, the uh, artist. You can see his stuff or his art on Chris O'Hara Art. So, here's the audio. This should give you the name of the painter and the name of the painting. Get dialing now. Name of the artist and the piece of art, 1850-104-106. The plot thickens on this one. Hi, Neil. Angela Lansbury was living in Glengareth, as was Maureen O'Hara, not sure did she move back to the States or not. Well, Maureen O'Hara certainly 
uh, was living in Glengareth and passed away. Angela Lansbury is alive and kicking at the age of 95. I thought it was East Cork. Maybe it was Glengareth. Anyway, keep those texts coming. We're a bit of a treasure trail at the moment, aren't we? Okay, lines open on that. one 850 You can text 0868-104-106. And I'm just waiting on a winner for that piece of audio. I can tell you at this stage now, right, that the piece was Vincent Van Gogh. Some say Vincent Van Gogh. Vincent van Gogh and The Starry Night. So I'd have played Don McLean's Starry, Starry Night on that one, but that would have been a dead giveaway. So Marie O'Connor from Middleton becomes our fourth qualifier. Well done. One, well done from correctly identifying uh, Van Gogh and uh, Starry Night. Tomorrow we'll have our fifth and final qualifier, and then we'll draw the piece of art. For everything else, we'll pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.